In a world filled with movie podcasts, three critics from the juggernaut media market of San Antonio decided to change the entire course of the internet. A feat attempted by many and conquered by many to produce a relatively listenable podcast. Devastating truth bombs. Brace yourselves, guys. The Muppets are puppets. You know that, right? <laughs> no! Wait! Oh, okay. no. <laughs> They're puppets. Don't ruin it! And... <laughs> Muppets is, are puppets. This is kind of... <laughs> Hard facts. Yeah, not Kevin Feige or Feig, whatever, but... I think it's Feige. Is it really? I have no idea. <laughs> Asking the important questions. What is that? What, what was that that I just saw right now? It was like a fat Iron Man. That's it's a Hulkbuster. Hulkbuster armor. That's, that's, that's how he fights the Iron Man. <laughs> this is the Cinesnob Podcast. Listening to that open reminds me. Uh, we're not going to talk about it, but there was a new Avengers trailer this yeah. week. Did you two watch it? I did. I sent it to you guys as soon as I saw it. Oh, yeah. That's probably how I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's always, It always hits, like, instantly. Yeah. It was good. I liked it. I loved uh, it. It was cool. Fat Iron Man. Mm, I, yeah. Big showing. My favorite part. Fighting the Hulk ups, upside a building or something. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Why didn't we have Kiko watch this without sound again? Damn it. Well, he already watched it. That was the, the thrill of the last ah, time. Was right. He was like, he hadn't seen it, so then he was just, he was watching it live on the podcast. And uh, now, I know what the, now I know what the Hulkbuster is, so that, that, that mistake won't be happening again. <laughs> I'm sure something else will pop up in the comic book movie world that'll confuse me. Who's who's this third Spider-Man? <laughs> what happened to Tobey Maguire? <laughs> anyway, welcome to episode 40. 40. The Podcast. This is 40. Did we bring a cake? The 40-year-old virgin. Um, I don't know. Other things with 40 in them. 40, 40 ounce. 40, 40, we should have brought 40, 40s. 40s. Fuck. <laughs> Oh, I don't. I'm not going to tell the story. But the one time I got really, really drunk was on forty ounce malt liquors, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean like wrecked. Uh, and I never did it again <laughs> after that. But you, it was it was amazing how smooth a forty ounce malt liquor went down. Oh yeah. And then like, did it come back up that smooth? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a whole story of it, and I'm not going to tell right now because I'm saving it for later. Ooh, but yeah, it okay. was. Uh, You're saving that for the 100th episode. The one, the one, look, there was uh, somehow I got vomited in my underwear. Oh. <laughs> it's a great story that I'm not going to tell right now. But uh, I think we've heard that one privately. I think so. Probably, <laughs> I've told it a lot. Uh, but yeah, it was. I, I drank a, a lot of malt liquor in one night because <laughs> it was a themed party, and uh, it was the theme. They would they the in they would invite forty people mm-hmm. and they would buy forty bottles of forty ounce malt liquor. So it was called forty forties for forty. And That's, this was number two. That this sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> oh yeah, no, this was like keep in mind this is like fifteen years ago, and uh, my friends that were uh, going to college in Austin uh, were holding the party, and they had. You know, one of those like party apartment complexes oh, that you yeah. see where it's like there's like six or seven going on at once, and there's some drunk bastards like me, like arguing over Transformers pillows and 
<laughs> things like that. And you wake up just hungover watching an old live action Ninja Turtles Christmas special. I hate when that happens. That all really happened. <laughs> anyway, episode 40. Maybe you should do it again when you're 40, and then you can be 40 40s for 40 somethings. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That'll work. How the hell do you throw up in your underwear? <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah. Oh, it's a mystery. Save it for another day. I'm trying to suck your dick again. I'm trying to suck your underwear again. <laughs> <laughs> Those underwear got thrown away in a Whataburger bathroom, by the way, <laughs> on the way home. And you're drinking a Whataburger tea. It all comes together. But, uh, the uh, conversation we were having before this uh, podcast began made me realize why there will never be a female uh, film critic on this panel. <laughs> <laughs> it would be since we're technically like not a workplace could could that is sexual harassment like is there is that a thing that exists just in the normal world in the podcast world probably I don't know. No, probably not. Yeah, who's HR here? Right. <laughs> anyway, um you got something to say Cody? Puffin stuff? Oh, I wish I hadn't acknowledged I, you. I don't really with that. look. I mean, I, I to be totally honest, I don't get that own reference that I said. Oh, it's a fucked up because uh, it's, it's like seventies like, <laughs> puppet like yeah. weird. Yeah, I just know the name. They, but, uh, yeah. I remember Nick at Night or something playing it about twenty years ago. Shit, it's all over the internet now. It's not like you couldn't go find it. Don't pretend like it's just a lost gem of pop culture that you'd never get to experience. I, I said I didn't. I didn't. I said that I haven't. Well, you understand hey, the reference. Hey, hey, though. how's the weather up there on your high horse, Jared? <laughs> I don't even know what y'all are talking about. HR puffing stuff. Oh, HR. I get it. Yeah, that's why. You... <laughs> <laughs> See, my jokes land. You know, a minute or so after they're told because they're so high concept. But you said you had no idea what that was a reference to. Well, I know it's a reference to something. It's... <sighs> The wealth of knowledge is right there at your Isn't fingertips. Isn't it a bear? No, he's like a fucking dragon pot, pot monster or something. I don't know. <laughs> he's made of like resin and, and LSD, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of this. Let's go ahead and move on to news. It's time for the Real Rundown, recapping this week in movie news. First up, the Oscars. Uh, on the heels of another pretty bad show, I guess. Yeah. With uh, more uh, ratings, um, the ratings falling, I guess, uh, is thinking about going back to having only five Best Picture nominees. Uh, Mm -hmm. In 2010 was the first year they opened it up to uh, up to ten nominees. Up to ten. Between five and ten. Between five and ten? Yeah. Yeah. And pretty much a direct result, I think. uh, I don't know if it was ever officially stated, but of something popular and good like The Dark Knight missing out on a nomination. Um, so they they may – something uh, – do you have this story pulled up? Yeah, uh, it's basically um, a significant fraction of the Academy is pushing to um, – Pushing to put it back to six, just because five, six or five, five. Sorry, I was reading six thousand member. Uh, um, it says they tried it and it really didn't do us much good. Um, well, the idea was that more popular movies would get in, but it tends to let in more. Well, the, the, I think house. the argument is that it's watering down the prestige of a best picture nomination. That's what <laughs> that's what their thing, and that's an exact quote from this story. So, I don't I don't know if I agree with that. I think it's. I mean, at first I scoffed at the idea, 
when they wanted to do 10 just because it just seems like it's I didn't like the fact that they were just wanted to do it to try to get um, people to watch. But now that they did it, it's letting films like, uh, you know, the smaller art house things or something that people necessarily wouldn't go see unless it got, you know, the the kind of uh, play that it would getting an Oscar nomination. And you, and you also have to remember that this move isn't entirely unprecedented because the first two years this was enacted, it was just 10 Best Picture nominees. And then after two years, they switched to up to 10, anywhere from 5 to 10. And I, so that's kind of... One sure. of the things I always wondered is why they didn't expand that to, I guess, cover the top four categories. Because those are the ones that, I guess, directors probably last on that list. But Picture, Best Actor, and Best Actress are the ones that tend to get the most play, mm-hmm. I guess, the most talk, the most water cooler stuff. So I, w- I always wondered why they didn't expand at least best actor and best actress to ten. No, no, that's that's <clears throat> too that's too watered. But if you but if you've got ten best pictures, if the the idea is to to gather more interest, and you know you essentially have ten best nominees, uh, so to speak, when you when you parse out the stuff of the Golden Globes because you get the five best mm-hmm. dramatic actor and best comedic actor. So uh, yeah, usually nobody, nobody remembers the Golden Globes. I mean, that, you can't really. Put that on your resume. No, I, I understand that it's per, not as prestigious, but the it's it does you know uh, lend itself to more popular consumption that way. Yeah, but the Golden Globes is a popular popularity contest anyway. So I mean, I think that they wanted to try to get if they're trying to get away from that in terms of the Oscars, then I kind of understand. But I don't know. I, I don't have a problem with ten, just as long as it's that category. I like them to see. I've always been a proponent of them adding new categories and maybe not either that or maybe not showing some of them just to cut down on the time of the Oscars. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, closer to Oscar time. I remember it because I, I was actually a proponent of going back to five and you guys were talking about going to 20, going to 10 and, <laughs> and sticking to 10 instead of the five to 10. And I kind of said, go back to five. And I think that's what it should be. Um, it it was, it wasn't broke for, However many years they did it, um, I do think that it does get a little bit watered down. To be totally honest with you, um, How, but the thing is, there. What if there's six great pictures that year? Six great movies that you think. So then something's always going to get snubbed. Well, then that. If, if I mean, if that were the case, then why not? I mean, see, I don't have a problem with the five to ten thing. I, I okay. I think that I think that ten is a little overboard, but I think five to ten, based on the votes, I think that's a good system. I don't know why um, people have a problem with it, but if but if you're going to either expand to ten or go back down to five, I am on the side of going back down to five. I, I don't remember saying that I didn't like the idea of being five to ten, but um, no, I, I I understand if you get to that if you get to like a, it's sort of like quality control at that point. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, each year is different. There's not. You know, yeah, like this year was pretty weak. We, we, I think we could all say well, so. Well, that's why there was only eight nominees. Well, I know, but I'm, but but when there's say there's eight great films, then there's three good, then there's three big snubs. But you could say that. What if there's twelve good films and well, then you why? have two snubs but, with ten? I mean, but, it's it's the same concept. But the, I mean, speaking. the idea the idea was was always always with this was to get make sure some sort of popular thing got snagged, and nothing has. Well, I guess technically American Sniper did, but that was after the fact. 
Well, I mean, we had something like District 9 get nominated for Best Picture back when the the 10, I think that was the first year that the 10 nominees were enacted. But I think I think it would even speak to a higher quality of films if you say they were eight, there were eight films and only these five got nominated. That would push that would push the prestige up of the award that year because you're like, "Wow, this got snubbed." That means these Best Picture nominees must be really, really good. Well, I mean, the, they're playing the devil's game here and making sure that they get people to watch the broadcast and to right. to care about the Oscars. Because, you know, nobody – I mean, Birdman is a great movie, but is the Oscar? I mean, this is never going to be a popular film. It's never going to be a widespread critical – I mean, widespread – it was never going to be a widespread commercial success just because it's so uh, insular and – but I think the same can be said for a lot of Best Picture winners, especially over the past decade. Um, I mean, Twelve Years a Slave wasn't a box office smash, right? And uh, I mean that, but that's a little more of a kind of uh, Best Picture one hundred and one sort of film, in my opinion. But what about like, I mean, what about the King's Speech or the Artist? Or I'm just looking over these things. I mean, the Artist was was definitely not going to be something popular. The King's Speech, I would assume, the King's Speech to me feels like an Oscar winning best picture, you know, like this, if you had to create something in a lab, you know, you come up with the King's speech, you come up with 12 years a slave. Uh, normally you'd come up with something like the theory of everything. I mean, uh, it all depends on what you call a smash. I mean, the King's speech did pretty good at the box office. Um, I don't know how much of that is post or pre awards, uh, but, but I mean, I just mean, if you get like a, a huge summer movie, you know, that, you know, so, like, I mean, going back, obviously, The Dark Knight, you know, maybe lots of people loved it. It was a huge critical success. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a traditional Best Picture nominee, uh, but it's something that that elevated the genre that it was in, that that took the genre that had normally been reserved for, you know, uh, yeah, I just Spider-Man stuff. I just, yeah, I, I just don't think that it, that's going to happen if but we you can stick it, stay, stay this way. I mean, we're not going to get a Dark Knight. Um, getting nominated. But you can also have some of those movies sneak into the five. I mean, all three Lord of the Rings movies were nominated for Best Picture, and one of them won. Right. Mm. So, I mean, it's it's, it's sort of like, I mean, maybe, I, I, I don't have a problem with those types of movies getting in, but maybe it's just like the cream of the crop gets in, so it has to be really, really good in order to get nominated. I, I think the, the kind of uh, unofficial idea about stuff like that is it has to be a huge smash hit. Well, I'm I'm yeah. sort of looking at since it's been ten, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to find what kind of movies would qualify for. I mean, I guess we would call big blockbusters or big popular hits. Avatar, District Nine, um, Up. If you if you're going to count Pixar movies, um, Inception was nominated. Um, Toy Story three, and then after that, I mean, it, it gets kind of back down to these prestige movies. Well, but but I mean, what has been what was in those years that what was released in those years that would have would that would qualify like something like the Avengers? I don't think was ever going to get over that hump, even though it made right. I don't either. And that, but that would have been the one to get over that hump because it was one of the better superhero movies, and it was well reviewed, well received. I mean, I think that this past year was one of the better superhero movie years, yeah, um, in a while. And I'm and that, this is coming from somebody that doesn't, you know, flip over superhero movies, and I thought it was really solid. So I mean, if one was going to get in, it should have gotten in like the Avengers or like whatever came out last year, uh, Captain America, Captain America or, but that's not going to happen. It's, it's, I may, may, I think that uh, something like the Dark Knight 
was a different case because it felt adult. Right. <clears throat> it felt like... Yeah, it was a little bit... I mean, it was a different tone. And, it felt like a crime drama that happened to have Batman in it. Right. You know? So, I mean, I don't think that any of this Disney Avengers uh, Marvel Universe stuff is ever really going to cross that. I think the best chance they had with was with something like Captain America... The Winter Soldier, which I guess had a, a more adult vibe than the rest of the stuff had, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I, I I don't I don't know I don't I don't mind five to ten I don't I, I mean I just think that going back to five is just going to make this thing less popular than, uh, than I, it was. I don't think it matters. I I don't think that when we had it at five, I don't think anybody knew is coming into the. F- into the field. Let me just, I mean, and watching the Oscars, I wasn't watching it before. Yeah, because I think if you look back to like 2008, for example, the nominees for Best Picture were Slumdog Millionaire, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost Nixon, Frost Nixon, Milk, and The Reader. Yeah, I mean that's well, right. And and it, I mean maybe that was what led them to do it, but I don't know. I mean that's <laughs> that's kind of I mean, why because you walk into the street and ask a random person how many of those five they saw and. Ninety percent are going to say none. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. I think um, you know it's something. If you look at it like this year, for example, you know, obviously, American Sniper got the nomination like the week it was released. Yeah, but I think had you had you been down to five, I don't think American Sniper makes that cut. I don't either. Yeah. So then you get more popular backlash, especially with the the strident line politically that was drawn but of uh by people regarding this movie that would have been another case of hey this hollywood doesn't get it you know more i mean they want to avoid that right that's really what this is right they want to but avoid not, people saying <laughs> but they're not going to avoid that in any way because i mean they're doing they they did it uh, the, the the right did it when when what's no, but his name I, lost no i know but they but they want to oh, i can't believe they gave it to the theory of everything best actor Right. They hate. They hate America. Well, I, but I'm more less so less specific than that. They want to avoid the idea that 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 Hollywood is disconnected from from reality, the popular culture. Because we talked about this when the artist won. You and I, when we did the the old TV show, mm-hmm. was how this is the move. This is the kind of movie that makes people hate film critics because you say that it's. Like this is the best movie of the year, the artist, and it's just so hard to get into because it's a silent, essentially a silent film in black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, and you tell people that's the best picture of the year, they're gonna roll their eyes yeah, at you. Like, yeah, fuck you. You know. <laughs> so that's so, on that's on them. That's not on us. That's on them to try it. No, I understand. I totally understand. But <laughs> but Hollywood. I mean, the Oscars. I mean, that telecast is a huge, huge money maker. <laughs> but I wonder if if it can actually benefit. Uh, I guess people being more open to this stuff if they see it go back down to five. And I think we're definitely in an age now where it's all going to be independent film well, from here on out that is, that are going to be competing for the Oscars. I think that I read a, an interesting article yesterday. I think, I think that if they want, if the big thing is they're, they're them trying to get more viewership, adding nominees to categories isn't, isn't the way to go. You have to do something else. You have to, get a director to direct something that, you know, as, as big as like the Olympics, you know, you get this high profile thing and you create like a performance or a huge show out of it, or you start selling ads like the Super Bowl and you start 
like, making people, you know, you start giving studios the chance to show this, you know, footage that has never been seen before. That's going to tune people in. Well, the, the, they kind of do, though. But, to a point. But, but there's, there has to be the rooting interest to begin with. You know what I mean? There has to be – you have to have some reason for somebody that's, that's, that's got – you know, because it always airs in, in sweeps in February in ratings month. So there's always something else going on. So but you've got to get them. You've got to get them. There has to be a rooting interest. Like, because if you, if if you're I, just, I don't a, know. Well, I, I don't pe- know. People be- watch the Super Bowl for just the commercials. It's, you hear that all the time. Well, that's the thing. You have to turn the Oscars into a spectacle, like the right. Super Bowl is. Because if you turn it into a spectacle, people are going. I, I mean, I would love to know the numbers on how many people who tune into the Oscars have seen the movies versus uh, versus just becoming something you watch every year out of. Uh, I guess routine or how, whatever, however you want to but put it. But you can't deny that something that's a popular film is going to draw more interest. I mean, you see it reflected in the number in the ratings every year. But it wasn't this year, and American Sniper was a smash hit, and this was a low, low, low telecast. So uh, apparently not. Well, I, I because don't... everybody that liked American Sniper was watching Fox News. That's <laughs> why we don't want to. Turn... But I mean, you see stuff like when Avatar was nominated, or Titanic was nominated. Obviously, Titanic was basically a generation ago, so it does ratings don't really. <laughs> Ratings, the ratings comparisons don't really hold up, but you see something that I don't know. Maybe they just didn't think American Sniper had a chance to win. Oh no! Oh, people who people who liked American Sniper thought it was going to clean house. Yeah. No, oh, I definitely. Know, I know, but I mean, well, and they were so that's, disappointed that's when the fr- didn't. that's the fringe. Though. And then of course they were like, "Oh, this is Hollywood. Of course they're not going to give it to American Sniper." <laughs> Hollywood made the movie though. Well, yeah, but. No, I know. Clint I'm just Eastwood. saying. <laughs> well, yeah, Clint Eastwood's an Oscar-winning director twice over, right? Twice? Yeah. Well, Million Dollar Baby and what Unforgiven. Else? Unforgiven. Unforgiven yeah. Oh, yeah. way to go. Yeah. Man, you, have a, you brought up some crazy stuff. Like, your memory's really good. Thanks. Like, when you talked about the... I don't remember the art, artist. That I, artist. I could tell you didn't remember it. And I was telling you about it. That it uh, look, I think I kind of remember that conversation, maybe, but... It's not always going to line up uh, with the... You know, the probably one every once every ten years, there's going to be some huge smash hit that gets critical praise. But and I, then I, there'll be something else to. Bitch so about. I just and there'll be some biopic about some 14th century, <laughs> uh, you know, queen of whatever. It's another fucking <laughs> World War Two set. <laughs> Mr. Turner, blah, 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 blah. and I wish Mr. Turner was <laughs> black and white <laughs> and silent. Uh, that would have been, it made it way, way more watchable. All right. Uh, <laughs> anything else about the Oscars? No. How would you? How'd you like Neil Patrick Harris? Two weeks removed from it, he was terrible. He was terrible. But I just saw a poll that I think Hollywood Reporter did, and I think seventy percent of them would have, would say that they would bring him back next year. Yeah. Seventy percent of who? Of Reader poll. It was a reader of poll. Of a Hollywood reporter. Reader poll. Mm-hmm. There's a diverse group, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I Did you see the... I, I may have sent it to the, both of you. Hollywood. I mean, Hollywood. It was the Oscars without... Somebody edited oh, out yeah. all the dialogue. <laughs> no. So it was, just, it was just like the awkward pauses. Yeah. <laughs> so stupid. It's, it's stupid, but it's really, really funny. Because yeah. it's just Neil Patrick Harris up there just going... <gasps> <laughs> and it cuts to the audience and... Yeah. Sounds great. And Octavia Spencer like, <laughs> yeah. And Oprah's like, come on. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next item. Netflix has won the bidding war for 
the next Kerry Fukunawa Fukunaga Beasts Sorry. of No Nation. Beasts of No Nation. Uh, they beat beat out Focus uh, Features and Fox Searchlight, and they paid twelve million dollars for distribution rights. And that would mean they are distributing it in theaters and on Netflix the same day. Correct. And this has uh, understandably drawn the ire of at least the big three. Big four. It's big up to four, four now. Oh. AMC, Regal, Carmike, and Cinemark. Where the fuck is Carmike? I've uh, never heard of Carmike. Do they operate under a different name or something? Uh, I don't think so. I think, but they think they're probably up north if we haven't heard of it down here. Down here in the Bible Belt. <laughs> 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 the, the deep south. Anyway, what's the story, Cody? Um. Well, that was pretty, that was it, <laughs> that was right? Much uh-huh. it. I mean, is there anything else? Uh, Kerry Fukunaga, Fukunaga. What else? What else has he made? He's made Sin Nombre. He's made Jane Eyre, and he was behind True Detective. He that's right. He directed that's every episode of uh, season one of True Detective, which is kind of where he. I mean, he was already pretty well received in the film circles, but yeah, uh, he became a household name. I or Household-ish name after <laughs> I can't pronounce it after directing uh, True Detective. Yeah, see, Number is a great uh, film. Um, I don't see films with Spanish names. <laughs> and Jane Eyre was <laughs> was really surprisingly good. Um, for as many times as Jane Eyre has been remade into um, feature films, he Any, did something different. Yeah. With it. <laughs> so so anyway, I think the big story here I, for me the big story is that um, you know they're going to make a big awards push with this movie. And the fact that they chose to go with Netflix over Fox Searchlight, which has won two best pictures in a row, um, is kind of amazing to me. Um, I, I can't believe. Actually, is it two in a row? Yeah. Sorry. But, I mean, Fox Searchlight, of course, you know, they won with uh, Slumdog Millionaire as well. Um, so, so they have the marketing arm and they have the funds to fund a real awards push. And so I'm, you know, I think this is all exciting to what it could mean for the future of distribution. But of course, you have your crotchety theater owners who are now um, putting their foot down and are refusing to show this movie. Now, look, I understand, though. I well, mean, okay, but yeah, but but you always frame this stuff as I understand as a business owner. Which, well, well, yeah. why, but what do you want them to do, though? That's what I'm asking you. What what what's the like? If say, you know. What do you have to offer over net, over the convenience of Netflix is what I'm saying. Showing it in a theater to but, give people that choice or people who don't have Netflix. Okay, to, well, to, that's fine. So, Because, I mean, if people, who, if people don't have Netflix and they essentially would not have any choice to watch this movie, so they're basically putting more money in Netflix's pocket if it's going to boost subscriptions so you can see this film. What are the chance? I mean, but this is not – we're not talking about a- – a blockbuster popular film. We're not, but if it makes an awards push and it's nominated for an Oscar, then maybe. Yeah. I, or wins an Oscar. Hell, what if that happens? That'd be awesome. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Kerry Fukunaga. Well, I mean, I mean, it boosts the profile of the film. And then, you know, I mean, right now we're still finding stuff like Birdman still in theaters. So, and it's available on DVD. There's just, there's usually a 90 day window between um, theatrical and VOD or day and date or, I mean, uh, um, Netflix or whatever um, that's usually in place. Um, so then when it comes out on VOD, these the theater, cha- the same thing happened with the interview, which is once it, they figured out it was coming out on VOD, most, most major chains shut it down or so they wouldn't show it. And of course, The Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was a uh, sequel 
mm-hmm. which is the first kind of Netflix distributed film, um, uh, I guess, feature film or whatever. Um, the theater chains are not showing that as well. So, um, but, so basically what it does is it, it, it makes it so that Netflix can't make any theatrical money off of it. And it also makes the awards push a little bit more difficult. But can you argue that that showing the the Netflix that stuff like Netflix and the the ease of it is directly? I mean, can you not say that it's directly competing with theatrical releases? I mean, if you say you have the library that you have at your fingertips with Netflix at your house, how likely are you just as a Joe average moviegoer to say? Hey, I'm going to go see this movie at the theater instead of on Netflix. I actually uh did you see the Tim Lee quote about this? Uh I think so, but remind me. Okay, so t- for anyone out there who doesn't know Tim Lee is the CEO and founder of Alamo Drafthouse and who has already stated that they're going to play this movie and they're they're always playing it. They played the interview, they were right. one, they were the first kind of chain, so to speak, to come out and say we're going to show the interview um and we don't care about any of the other stuff. So Tim League said, I'm agnostic about this sort of thing. I look at films I want to play, and I play them regardless of the release strategy. I don't yes. look at myself as a competitor to Netflix. I think that argument is a little bit of a red herring. I watch a lot of movies at home, but there comes a time where I want to get out of the house. I look at cinemas as one of those options that compete with restaurants or baseball games or all of those things I can't do in my living room. But but let's let's... First of all, state that Draft House is a different sort of business model than something like uh, um, yeah. AMC. So what was your original question? Say you're an average moviegoer, uh-huh. and you have the option of watching this movie on Netflix, on your big screen TV, or mm-hmm. going to the theater. What's What choice are you going to make? Probably Netflix. Okay. And that's what that's what these normal movie theaters have to deal with. You know, this isn't – we're not talking like the Draft Houses and people that make their living on stuff like this. I mean – Look, I'm going to a Wayne's World screening tonight at Draft House, and I have the movie at home. Right. But I'm going because of the experience of seeing it at the Draft House. It's a quote-along thing. And, okay. You know, I want to eat their food. Okay. So that's why I'm going to that. Uh, if you gave it to, if you gave the option of like saying, telling someone, "Hey, you want to watch Wayne's World? It's playing at the Draft House tonight." Like, well, fuck, I've got it on my Netflix. How many people? How many normal people? How many average people? I should say, not normal people are going to make the choice to go out to a theater to watch something when they've got it at the palm of the, in the palm of their hand. I guess I guess the problem I have with sort of and I don't mean to call you out but I kind of do. Uh your defense of these things which has happened over and over again <laughs> is that you defend it's a business model it's the business thing it's a bit like there's 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 different facets to it like the business part yeah I get it but there there are other implications for doing this sort of thing that can end up hurting the progress of the industry. Well, fine, but you can't legitimately expect somebody to to willingly subject themselves to 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 benefiting a competitor, right? I mean, you can't say like you but can't you- put, like if you're not showing a movie, like your theater's not showing a movie, you're not going to put up a fucking sign to go tell them where to watch it down the street. But again, the th- these theater chains can put this type of movie in a tiny little their smallest theater that can outshow whatever is whatever movies on its fifth week or whatever dud is released that week and they can just make extra money on top of whatever it's a little bit different because none of these movies are going to be the bread and butter of any 
weekend so far. I mean, it depends on what what's going to be really interesting to see is is if they try to push for a theatrical run for any of these Adam Sandler. That's movies. what I was going to say. If it comes down to something that might actually make decent money, <laughs> then maybe you'll see a push, you know, the other way. That'd but be so hypocritical if they it did would. that. Though. Oh, absolutely. And and if it, hell, I, if I were Netflix, I would say no. You can't show these. We we don't want you showing this because then you're making money off of us. Look, it's it's fine to have the principled stance on it because I mean, progress is obviously going to be something that you know. It's obviously progress always has has victims. You know, I mean, fucking Netflix's victim is Blockbuster. You know, this was the king of 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 video. Like you, this video rental was Blockbuster. Videos that you watched at your home were Blockbuster. Then they got lazy and complacent. And and didn't 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 compete properly, and they died. I, so there's always there's always going to be somebody that 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 suffers because of progress. And I don't think you can reasonably ask a theater chain to contribute to something that may be its own demise. I, I, hmm. This is actually a, an interesting situation, though, too, because you have a, a circumstance where the distributor of the film actually has a release means. So Netflix is distributing the film. They're the distributor. Right. uh, And they have their own way to watch the film. So this would be like Fox Searchlight having an on-demand service where they would directly benefit from releasing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I don't don't think that this is... I, I think that wording it as contributed to the demise is a little bit dramatic well you you are predicting a shift in in stuff like this a sh- right a shift in in the in, in consumption and distribution um in that being that prestige films can have um unorthodox release strategies because netflix has already had two oscar nominated documentaries so far um if they push into feature films feature films it's gonna get scary for everybody else yeah it really is because they're they're well see that's what that's what I'm saying scary what do you mean by scary like you mean that scary because they're going to have to adapt to this business model mm-hmm. right I mean so then what do you what do you do as a theater to adapt to somebody who can watch a video at home a you movie at create home? your own um, Netflix so, so you know fucking you create your own another streaming. we're going to splinter the streaming thing even more so than well, it already Sony is. Sony Pictures classes can have their own thing Universal but, but Studios can have their own thing but I'm talking about like these theater chains that aren't owned by. Oh, I mean, what do you? What are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to to start their own streaming service? Are they supposed to start making deals but, like this? But but okay, so are you not an advocate of VOD then? Because that's I'm the same fine thing. with it. I don't. It's I don't have a horse in this race. So I mean, well I then, why are you sticking no, up for the companies? I'm, but, because you're calling them crotchety, and I'm saying that that they have a fucking reason to be crotchety. I want to watch that stuff at home. But yeah, but that doesn't make it any. I mean, if you're, <laughs> no, you don't understand. I don't. I don't. I don't own a theater. I don't have stock in a theater chain, but I understand why a theater would be like, hey, you know what? Fuck you, Netflix. I'm okay, not I get, showing something the same day that you're releasing it on I get, Netflix. I, I get that you understand it. I want to know what you think of it. I don't care. I'm fine with the evolution of the process. Because okay, then I, that's what we should be focusing on, not, well, I get it. I get but why you're the calling theater, them crotchety like they're, like they're some like like stifling like free speech. I, I don't think I said the word crotchety. You fucking did. You said the crotchety theater owners. Look, man. They don't want to die at the hands of Netflix. I They're understand. not going to die at the hands. Of, I, I mean, why? Why are these seen? Why aren't these seen as 
separate things where you can either watch a movie at home or you can go to a theater to watch it. I because get it's the, the same movie at the same time on the same day. But, you're, That's but why. you're making the pick. It's no different than picking to go see it between two different theater chains. I mean, you, you have options of different ways to watch the movie. It's well, the same as VOD now. You can either watch it at home or you can go to the theater and watch it. And you know what? VOD's not doing that well in terms of that. So why would Netflix be any different? Because Netflix is a household name. Netflix is Netflix is the thing. Netflix is Netflix is like a it's like Kleenex. But it go it comes <laughs> down to the same either watching it at home or watching it in the theater. It's the same decision yeah, but no matter you, what you make. But you don't have you don't have that choice with other stuff. Like what if you what if like something like House of Cards. Like you could watch it. You could either watch it at 7 p.m. on AMC on Sunday nights, or you could watch it whenever the fuck you want on on Netflix. Like, what's the difference there? Why would you watch it at 7 p.m. on, I, on I don't know. AMC? Some people would choose to do that. <laughs> Why though? What would be the what would be the the financial incentive for AMC to do that? AMC, the network, not the theater. Because they would make some money off of it, as opposed to no money off of it but but i guess it's the same I, okay so what's the dip what, okay what about from netflix's perspective why would they want their movie shown in theaters because they've already you've already got they've already got your money they've got the subscription rate i mean if they add but aren't you aren't you feeding well i guess you're not feeding it to the competition because they own distribution on it but i mean the, the theater makes their money off of people going being at the theater i, I buying concessions they make what I mean, it's always some paltry percentage of what they make on the actual film screening itself. The ancillaries that come with it, the, the you know, buying drinks, buying popcorn. I, I'm a little. I, I would. I would rather spend time and energy talking about what this could mean for the shift of distribution versus trying to figure out if the theater owners have a valid point or not. I well, that's, but I mean, look, they're they're going to make the stand because they know that this shift is is coming, and it is going to it is going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen as rapidly as it may have seemed maybe three or four years ago. Now that everything's being so splintered that every fucking little company has their own app now. I, um, I think that the splintering thing is less of an issue than, than you do because I think that I think that there's only two actual players. Isn't it happening more in TV than in film? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm seeing ads for stuff like on Amazon that I had never heard of and I'm like, how am I going to watch that? Well, right. But, well, but there's uh, – yeah, I mean, but they're like Shout Factory, for instance. Um, I think I may have talked about this before. They distribute kind of uh, cult, more cult movies. They pulled those off of Netflix mm. and have their own streaming service now. Um, it, you know, the, there will be a time when every it's just considered media instead of a film or a HBO movie right. or whatever. Right. Um, that that the theaters, you know. You know, there's always going to be something that there's always going to be that subset of people that want to go see something in a theater just because it's the experience. But as it becomes easier, I mean, I love the NBA. I would, I don't have to ever go to a game again, frankly. I mean, watching an HD at home is is almost a more satisfying experience than being, you know, spending thirty dollars for a ticket and being halfway up the bowl. You know, well, and it all depends on, I guess. Is is this the is this truly the the direction that the industry is moving in? So, I guess essentially, are people going to stop going to the movie theaters anyway? I don't think so. Um, just because there's, 
I mean, not anytime soon. I, I mean, it's a it's a romantic idea, you know, going to the movie theater and seeing a movie that needs to be seen at the theater. But I don't know. I mean, people always want to get out of the house for something. Right. You know well, I mean? that's sort of to Tim League's point. Right. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a movie now. Right. So, um, you know, Fridays are always, you know, the start of the weekend is traditionally, hey, what are you going to see at the movies this weekend? You know, uh, who knows what it'll look like in 20 years. I'm just freaked out every every time I, you know, look to see what's on VOD and I'm just like, man, we're going to need to get a couple of new critics on here to just do video on demand stuff. I mean, well, we're missing so much. I mean, we don't we don't review so much stuff, right? Well, we don't review it, but we see a lot of it. Well, we see a lot of it, but I mean, I mean, could you imagine a- if we started reviewing everything that came out on VOD? I mean, we would kill ourselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's it's an exciting time, I guess, for distribution content, distribution of content, because there is so many platforms. Like I said, I don't really think there's. I think it's a little too splintered, right? Especially VOD is totally too splintered right now. Um, but I mean, when you say something's going to be on Netflix, people know what that means, and they know right. where to find it, and they know how easy it'll be to find. I mean, I think that the second that Netflix pulls an Oscar down, things are going to start to shift big time, um, because then you can you can prove that this model can work in terms of being nominated for award. Because I mean, awards are, you know, I mean there there are some distributors that wouldn't exist without awards and um and you know you're seeing it a little bit with netflix and in like house of cards and orange is the new black where they're they're making pushes to win these awards and so netflix is getting more and more interesting tv projects um film is going to be a very you know they haven't quite cracked that nut yet but when they do it will be very interesting to see if netflix starts winning out these bidding wars with major distrib- distrib- uh, excuse me distributors well the, the thing i guess about that right now is there's not really a, a consistent foreign presence for netflix with so much box office coming from overseas there's not really like if they if they happened upon some some movie that became a huge hit uh you know there's not foreign distribution is not really i mean i guess maybe that's when they would partner with somebody or release it on their own to be to get that foreign market money. Cause I don't know that there's a, uh, I mean, there's a pretty finite number of people they can have sign up for Netflix. I mean, there's only so much money they could make off a subscription, right? I assume. Yeah. But they're, they're expanding to different countries in Europe and yeah. But I mean, the, you know, you know, selling a $9 a month subscription is different than look, I mean, paying 10 bucks for somebody to go to a theater. Look, I, I, as far as I see this, um, it's by the second quarter of 2014, there's 50 million global Netflix subscriptions at $9 a piece. If you factored that, uh, factor in as relatively the same thing to a ticket price and you have 30 million people watching your movie, then, you know, I mean, and, and of course, 30 million being, a, being a, a pretty large percentage of the 50 million. But even then, it's. Yeah, well, but then you. I mean, you can't. Word of mouth has to like that's one of the things. Word but, of mouth, but ne- but not really though, because Netflix can push it within the app. Netflix can put it right there on the front page. They could make you watch a trailer before you even log into your. No, I know, Netflix. but I'm saying is like word of mouth to spread to people. You know, 
that doesn't necessarily mean more money like it does with a theatrical release. You know what I mean? But money is sort of relative when it comes to Netflix because they're a subscription-based service. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like you tell somebody like, hey, you know, hey, you got to go see Netflix movie A. And they're like, oh, fuck, okay. So I got to go to the theater and pay 10 bucks and blah, blah, blah. No, I got to go turn on my Netflix. You know, it doesn't. It's just not quite the same. But but obviously some part of that is working because Netflix keeps getting better and better quality. Um, with well, I mean they just have a ton of money to throw around right now. Better quality of what? Well, TV at the moment. Oh, TV, but, right? But, yeah, the film. I think there's still. Um, but again, I, I mean it's it's pretty watered down. I think in terms of film. I mean you, no. you get you don't think so? No, not at I all. I mean there's like. 20 food documentaries but on I'm there. Talking about a, I, yeah, I'm talking about know? original quality, though, or original uh, entertainment, though. I'm talking about Netflix originals. Either Netflix produced or... Um, or well, no, okay. Well, but I mean, I'm, talk- I'm talking about what they throw up there that's oh, those fairly are, new. Those I are mean, two different things, though. Okay, so... But the but, stuff that they, you know... I mean, there's, what, 10 Danny Trejo movies on there right now, right. probably, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the movie quality has not kept on... Cause, because their original TV programming has been pretty above standard, yeah. I guess. Um, and then the the TV series that they acquire, you know, it's stuff people love already. Mm-hmm. Um, the films have been lackluster. I think it's usually uh, distribution on that is, you know, hey, you'll get, you know, Rocky three, and then, like you said, ten Danny Trejo movies. But I think I think you, I think you're sort of mixing. I'm, I'm mixing two different things here because well, it's all Netflix. I mean, the prestige I, of the TV, the prestige yeah, of film, has caught up with the TV. I don't know if a regular person would, or but, the but that's, average Joe would figure that part out. That's not that's not the conversation at hand, though, because what we're talking about is Netflix originals or Netflix distri- distributed, so to speak. So the only way to watch it is being through Netflix. Well, I think that applies to a lot of those movies, though. I mean, technically, let's say. For for the better part of of the conversation, the only way anybody's going to see this movie is Netflix. But I'm talking about all of this is about stuff that is branded a Netflix original, right? But but so I'm not talking about a Danny Trejo movie that hits VOD for one week and then goes to Netflix. I'm talking about stuff that Netflix. Uh, but you're talking about an ideal more than the actual what the product is right now. I'm not though cuz Netflix has had half a dozen documentaries come out that are Netflix originals. Yeah, but 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 you who knows that is what I'm saying. Like who the I the, don't know the, the, Mark, the academy because they've nominated But two I mean of the them. the people that the fucking people that it's important to know it. Like they know that House of Cards is an original Netflix series and they know the only place they can watch it is Netflix. I'm just saying the branding for the film part of Netflix is not kept up with the branding because, and the prestige of the of the TV part of Netflix. Because they don't have any live they don't have any narrative stuff yet. But they'll have like when it starts with Crouching Tiger, when it starts with the Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> I don't think the Adam Sandler is a step towards prestige. It's, it's a not step towards popularity. It's not, but but people, but you're talking about whether people know it or not. People will know it when the Adam Sandler. I mean, what I'm the saying. Bra- the brand is what I'm talking about. They the will brand. know it when the Adam Sandler stuff comes out. <laughs> yeah, but it'll be Adam Sandler stuff. Is what but I'm you're saying. just talking about brand awareness. We're not talking about no, prestige. I'm, I'm you're saying, talking about do look, people you know it of, or not. You think of Netflix original series. And you think of the high quality that stuff like like House of Cards represents, 
and the orange is the new black represents. Just like you think Pick about an H- argument, Jared. <laughs> you're, 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 I'm just fucking telling you, God damn it, that well, it's the your... fucking it's fucking popular. Well, one stuff. second it's prestige and popularity, the next it's just brand awareness of knowing that these things. Exist I'm saying or that not. everybody knows that the Netflix movies are, that every that there's only shitty movies on Netflix. Have you ever talked to anybody anecdotally about what they think about Netflix movies? You have Th- to they're t- they're not shitty anymore. They were shitty a decade ago. They're not bad anymore. There's tons of great films on Netflix right now. We have a goddamn segment dedicated to it. Well, yeah, but it's always stuff that's 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 showing up there. I think that new films going on Netflix that are like you know new releases are not good. I think if you know they go back and pull things that they're trying to get in their library. I mean, of course you can say that there's hundreds of great Netflix movies, but I mean they're just great movies in general that just got put on Netflix. What's the difference? Well, it's all Netflix. That's what Jared just said five minutes ago. If Goodfellas just said that, if Goodfellas gets put on Netflix this month, I'm not going to say Goodfellas is a Netflix movie. None of these are Netflix movies unless they're a Netflix original. That's what we're talking about when we say Netflix movies. When we're talking about this Kerry Fukunaga movie, we're not talking about it in the same vein as a Danny Trejo movie. We're talking about movies that Netflix. I'm talking about the the way people perceive the movies on Netflix. Oh, the branding of Netflix movies. Look, you can be idealistic all you want, but the truth is... No, because we're talking about original content. We're talking I know! About, well, I know what we're talking about. Well, you can't... We're you, talking about the reality of Netflix. We're talking about the reality you of... You cannot word movies that were picked up by Netflix to show just like 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 Crash, was, which was just added. That is not a Netflix talking, movie. That is when, a movie that is showing... When we're talking about public perception of the movies that are on Netflix, you're talking about... About how people perceive what they what they what they can see at the theater and what they can see on Netflix. Right. There's a mark of quality right now on Netflix when it comes to films that is not nearly keeping up with the branding of their TV stuff. I so, agree with that. So you can say all you want that yeah, good movies are coming. Fine. Oh, right we, now, good movies are shit. Did you guys see that in the corner? That was Jared missing my point. <laughs> God. <laughs> All right. You're, you're what's total, your, you what's are, your point then? My point is when we're talking about movies on Netflix, that is a difference between these Netflix original movies. I understand what you're saying, but you're missing the point because th- there, there is no awareness of Netflix originals because there hasn't been one that has stood out. I mean there has been – there have been good ones um, that, like you know, like Mitt – Came out and that was a fine documentary. Varunga was nominated for a uh, documentary, uh, uh, best documentary for the Oscars. The Square was nominated. Those are all Netflix original movies. When you're talking about TV shows on Netflix, you're talking about House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, which are original series. So you cannot compare those and say that that is one thing, but yet movies are just one giant thing. When all of this, including the Kerry Fukunaga movie, including the um, the Adam Sandler movies, these are day and date releases that are coming out exclusively on Netflix. That's what we're talking about. That's all we're talking about. We're not talking about the other movies because that's irrelevant because all of this story is about Netflix originals. That's all that we're talking about. So when you lump it in, you're confusing the two issues. You're confusing the two things. You're, you're lumping them in together when really they're supposed to be separate. And that's my point. One day you're going to learn about branding. And one day you're going to learn that, that just because just because AMC shows Mad Men and Breaking Bad, 
doesn't mean they show doesn't mean they don't have they fucking show Batman Begins. But when people but times. when people talk about the distribution model of Netflix on TV, they're not comparing Orange is the New Black to fucking episodes of Magnum PI which are also there. That's, those are two different things. You're talking about Netflix original series when you're talking about Netflix creating content. We're talking about Netflix I know. in terms of creating content. <laughs> I know and I'm, what I'm saying is that, that the, the branding that they've had for their platform, whether or not they've released popular or well-received documentaries hasn't gotten the attention that it deserves. Or maybe not that it deserves, but to make it seem like a place to go for for films and they need to change that if they're going to be a real player and maybe this stuff will change it. I don't know if the Adam Sandler stuff's going to change it, but, but that's the point. The point right now is the, the branding of the film part of Netflix is not on par with the branding, excuse me, of the TV part of Netflix. And you know, if they, that's going to change fine, you know, this Kerry Fukunaga thing, that's a, I guess a step towards that, towards being prestige, the crouching tiger, hidden dragon sequel, I don't know anybody that cares, but I guess that's a step toward it. It's towards making, towards being a, a, a destination for prestige programming. And then there's other shit if you want to watch it. You know, here's, oh, here, and then you, you can watch all the episodes of Friends if you want to. But the fact is, the TV is enormously outpacing the film part of Netflix. You know, I, I don't, how many people do you, do you know that binge watch, you know, all the Rocky films when they're on Netflix? You know, nobody talks about that part because nobody's people use Netflix as a TV source, it seems, anecdotally. Oh, look, I'm looking at Netflix on my phone right now. And everything that's a Netflix original has the word Netflix in red above it. So that's how people know. Right. <laughs> what's what's a good Netflix original movie? Know. Oh, it's Peaky Blinders. Peaky Blinders is a is a show that it's like some some shows will air Originally in other countries, and then Netflix will pick up the U.S. distribution rights to it, and Peaky Blinders is one of those. Yeah, they did Derek to the Ricky Gervais. What about Trailer Park Boys? Is that a movie? There is a Trailer Park Boys movie, yeah. It says Netflix above it. <laughs> anyway, we've gotten really far afield here, probably. Sure, Netflix releasing movies, that's going to be great. Um, I understand why the theater owners hate it, because why wouldn't they? Anything else to add on this epic Netflix conversation? Anybody? No, I want to cry now, though. Mm. All right, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our last item. Cody went and saw uh, the musical Once. Yeah. At uh, the Majestic Theater here in San Antonio. Now, is the movie based on this musical, or is this musical based on the movie? This musical is based on the movie. So how was it, Cody? Um... It was good. Uh, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen the film, you need to correct that as soon as possible. Um, I know that Kiko can also speak to it. That it's just, you know, it's a musical, but it's sort of a non-traditional musical. It's not what you would normally think. Um, it's uh, because it's not, you know, I mean, like my my reference point i haven't seen a lot of musical movies but like recently into the woods and um and like les mis um okay yeah those are like the big huge theatrical right this productions. is once is not a theatrical musical it is very much a film where there's maybe like a dozen songs in it and um and you kind of uh you kind of listen to 
I guess like I guess what you would be used to in like Lame is where they sing all the dialogue and whatever. Right. Yeah. Not my favorite thing, but yeah, you know. So um, once it it doesn't have anything to do with like the players that were in the actual film, right? I mean, um, yes, yeah. There's there's nobody from the actual film uh, in the musical. Um, it's you know all recast, and, and the story is a little bit different. I guess you know first and foremost, what I liked about the musical was that it's very minimalistic and it's very uh it's very understated mm-hmm. um you know there's there's a cast of maybe 10 or so and everyone on stage is playing instruments right. so there's no like orchestra or anything everyone's either got a guitar or a bass or um a violin or, and stuff like that so um every member of the cast plays an instrument um and sings um they actually had it the, the the way that it's set up in the beginning is actually really cool because what they do is they have a they have one stage that they that never changes. Mm-hmm. They just move tables and stuff in and out. The actors do, um, and um, and the stage is like a bar. And for the first hour that people come in or whatever, it's a it's a functioning bar, so you can go up on stage and get a drink, and then <laughs> what really yeah. <laughs> And so, and so you walk up on stage, get a drink, and then the actors start gathering around on the stage, and they start just playing Irish folk songs, and um, and so they play in a, in a circle while people are drinking and getting their drinks, and then they slowly start um, shuffling people off the stage, and then the show starts in the middle of one of those songs. Um, so it's really understated. There's no like big theatrical fireworks moment or uh, anything like that. Um, it just kind of stays quiet the whole time and maintains, and it goes on the strength of the songs, which have you seen once, there's some amazing songs. Yeah. Oscar-winning uh, song, Falling Slowly, which was amazing that year, my favorite. Um, yeah. Uh, so is that played? Yeah, it's played a couple times. Um, as good as Glenn does it? Well, and that's the downfall of this musical, is that um, if, you know the actors are you know they're great singers in their own right, but um, the thing that made Once so great was um, was that Glenn Hansard, who uh, you know wrote all the songs along with Marquetta Irglova, um, Glenn Hansard has this like quality to his voice in those songs where it's like it's really raw, right? And it's and it's like, really powerful, and um, and you just miss it. And it's different than any. I mean, I'm sure that the guy that sang the song is good but it's just different it's good but it's different and it, it sort of takes away a lot of the emotion out of the songs which which was made which was what made one so special because it's basically they're basically folk mm-hmm. type songs um glenn was in a band called the frames um and uh and that's what he's kind of known for he was he was not really an actor um and and I think that's that's sorely missing. I also think there's some story elements from the movie, which again, the movie doesn't really have much of a story, other than you know, guy's a street performer, girl comes up, and they bond over making this, I guess, EP or album right. together over, you know, five days in Dublin, and there's sort of a romance thing there too. You know, in the in the musical, he's not really a street performer. He's playing in like a bar with some friends. Um, and, and and I think the problem is there's amazing songs, but the performances aren't as great as I would like them to be. So when everyone comes up to me and comes up to him and goes, "Oh wow, you're really good," or "This this is amazing," how do people not know about you? It's believable in the movie. I don't know that it's that believable in the musical, but it's still well done. Um, 
the second half of the musical post intermission is a lot better mm-hmm. than the first. Um, there's some stuff that happens with the girl because it's you know in the in the it's guy and girl the character names um, of the girl. Um, I guess her family and friends, you know, you see a little bit of that in the movie, but there's a pretty some pretty extended stuff in the in the musical that I didn't care for. Um and and I don't know if this is a majestic theater problem or you know, I I remember when when Jared and I went to the Star Trek thing, it it was really hard to hear a lot of it. When I went to another I've been to one other play or musical or whatever at Majestic and it was super quiet and this time around I was I had really good seats. And it was still really quiet, and I don't know if I don't know why the volume is so low during these perform live performances, but it drives me nuts. What what part? I don't remember being it being hard to hear Star Trek. It was it was a little hard to hear. I because I, I, I remember I made the comment that I wish everything was just turned up a little bit. Oh, like the mix on the movie, like the mix with the movie. The, yeah, and but it just all around it's a little quiet. And but the problem is when you're watching a musical, everyone is silent. And so every single cough that every person makes in the Majestic Theater, you can hear, like like loudly. Well, yeah, I don't think you're going to avoid that, especially with an old building like that. Just the acoustics are meant for, you know, the 1920s or whenever but it was it's, built. It, that's true, but the sound system is not from the 1920s, so you can just, you it, know, take it, the volume knob be. and turn it <laughs> It might be like a bunch of phonographs. It, yeah, <laughs> So my favorite line in the movie was uh, "fuck you batteries." Is that in there? It is not oh, in the musical. God damn it! Uh, it is not in the musical. Um, is there? There is cursing. Okay. Yeah, there's cursing in the musical. Uh, um, and you know that the, there, there's there's actually something that is a little bit better than the movie, which is there's a there's a conflict that happens between the guy and the girl um, that is not present in the film that happens that I actually like a little bit more in the musical. Um, but overall, I think it does, I think it does the film justice. Um, I think that it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a good adaptation, um, especially um, for that world. I mean, look, I'm not going to claim to be a musical expert. I've mm-hmm. seen two in my life, like live musicals or whatever. What was the other one? Uh, the Book of Mormon. Okay. So uh, those are the two that I've seen. Um, and, uh, and I liked them. Uh, they're fine. Uh, I'm not a huge fan, but I, I wanted... Well, I mean, I, I don't have the knowledge. I mean, I don't know what makes a good musical and what doesn't. I can only speak from my perspective on that particular night. But um, Apparently, we were all very wrong about Into the Woods, if you're a theater fan. Oh, well, I, I, apparently the theater or the the, the uh, musical, the theater musical is actually really good. Everybody that I've ever talked to that's seen the theatrical musical loved the movie as well. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I I think I think when you go to once, you can expect something different than your normal musical because the songs are just different. They're not big theatrical numbers. They're not like glitzy or whatever word you want to use. They're really good acoustic folk songs, um, and uh, I think you'll find good uh, singing performances, decent acting performances. There is something missing that is in the film that is not in the musical that you don't get there. And I think that's just a sense of um, whether it's passion or emotion or that raw sense you get from listening to like the once soundtrack or watching the movie is a little absent there. But I really like how minimalistic and understated it is because that sort of matches the film because the film is is very minimalistic. I mean, it's shot on consumer-grade uh, camcorders, essentially. 
and um, very, very low budget. Um, and uh, and I like how it sticks to one set in the musical, and you have all of your actors moving stuff, uh, uh, tables and chairs in and out while they're playing musical interludes. Um, so it's a very hands-on sort of, the people on the stage are all the people behind the production, which is really cool to see. So they're yeah. Teamsters. <laughs> teamsters? I think Teamsters the theater. The big question is, why would I go and see a once on the stage when I have the Blu-ray at home? That's what I want to know. Or if this musical is on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks for beating me to that one. I, was gonna, oh, man. I mean, you would say it, you would do it because um, it's live performances. And you could go up on the freaking stage and have a drink. Yeah, you can. Did you, you go? I didn't go, no. Uh, but uh, What if they put you in the show? Like yeah, are you, just, are you just hiding behind the bar until it starts, and you just come out in your neck? You start, you start tap dancing. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, that governor. It's yeah. Irish, right? Yeah, that was a little too. That was British. too British. But I, I think I, th- I think the, the the reason you would go see it is because it's a it's an adaptation of something that you can watch. It's not strictly the same thing. Uh, the songs are the same, but there's some original songs. There's good. There's legitimately great performances. There's um. There's a really good performance of a song "Gold" that's not actually written by Glenn and Marquetta, but it's it's featured in the movie. Where uh, you know the scene where they're all doing like the Irish round table, where everyone brings their instrument and they all play the same mm-hmm. song. That song is in there, and it's actually really good. Um, and it's and it's well well adapted. Um, but it's it's a it's faithful um, to the point where I think that fans of the fans of the film are going to enjoy the. Um, Fans of the film Sorry. are going to enjoy the musical, and um, and I think fans of the musical should probably check out the film. So, cool. How long is it playing in town? Is it done already? Is it wrapped uh, up? I think by the time this is out, it'll be done. So check your uh, local theater. Yeah, your not movie theater, but theater. What would you call like performing? <laughs> <laughs> We're like, because usually uh, check where Broadway shows are shown. Did uh, a lot of people? It's the R did, before the E. Did, yeah, that one. Did people? Uh, <laughs> a lot of people. Um, well, when I saw Avenue Q, mm-hmm. a lot of people left after intermission. This is not one of those. <laughs> no, why? Just because it was they were because they didn't realize that it was going to be that dirty. Yeah, I mean this is uh, a, this is like a clean like this is appropriate for they're like everybody. how could puppets this is talk so. Filthy. Look, I mean, there's a lot of f bombs in once, surprisingly. So to me, but um, like if, funky if, batteries. Like if you, if your if your child can handle, I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about like the old, like oh. a t- more typical theater crowd was oh. kind of offended. No, there's nothing offensive in here. Okay. No. All right. Let's go ahead and move on. What? I didn't walk out of Avenue Q. I was laughing my ass off. I was. I was. T- I loved it. Maybe, yeah, it was great. Maybe was... we were there at the same time. We probably were. Because I was there with a bunch of people from work. Wait, Jared, you like to you like the musical with puppets in it? That's what do you know? Right? <laughs> That's so weird. This is, and it was I think it was before Gary Coleman had died. Remember was a, it? I'm trying to think. I of, can't. I think it was. I, well, did, where'd you see it at? The Majestic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was before Gary. Coleman. Well, I think died. if Gary Coleman, yeah, it had I think to they been. still. I think they still have Gary Coleman in the if, show. Yeah, I think that if wait, did they just reference him? No, no, there's a character there's that a character. plays Gary Coleman. It's like a, it's a woman that plays Gary Coleman. That's right. That's right. I wonder if they do that now. I don't know. They probably change it to I don't know who would they change it to. Maybe they just don't change it at all. Because what do they care? <laughs> it's already offensive enough. Yeah. 
All right, let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. This week we've got Chappie. Chappie, if you want to be in the gang, you have to be cool like Daddy. Look at Daddy Wolf. Look how cool he is. You need to keep a gangster. You need to keep a gangster. Yeah, you be cool. <laughs> Don't lie for being cool. Oh, cool. Even when you put a gun, you have to be cool like this. Boom, and you try. No, I can't shoot people. What? I can't shoot them. They didn't do anything to me. How are you going to do the heist with us if you don't shoot people? I can't do heist. Heist is a crime. I promise. Hey, it's okay. Hey, let's worry about that later, okay? I got this, all right? You. If somebody really disrespects you, you can deal with them without using a gun. What do you think, Teddy? Real gangsters use this. Oh, God. oh, in the near future, crime is patrolled by an oppressive mechanized police force. When one police droid, Chappie, is stolen and given new programming, he becomes the first robot with the ability to think and feel for himself. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. I'm Daddy? Chappie. Daddy? Daddy? I'm Chappie. I'm Chappie. I'm Chappie. Oh, my. Can we do this whole? Can we do this whole review with Chappie voice? Please? <sighs> we all saw this, Cody. You could start. Okay, Chappie. Uh-huh. I am Chappie. So I have I have complicated, mixed feelings about this film um, because I didn't hate it. Uh, I, I actually, it, it's sort of weird because it came in waves. First, I was <laughs> totally indifferent. Then I kind of liked it. Then I didn't like it, and then I thought it was kind of okay. So I sort of like like you go through the whole spectrum. Here's okay. Let me let me just say this. Um, it's better than Elysium, I think. Uh, I never actually saw Elysium. Now that I think about it. Oh really? I think it's better than Elysium because f- for once Blomkamp does not hammer you over the head with some social issue message. It, oh, there's really? not a there, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't I'm, know I'm, about th- that. I don't think it's hammered over. The, I don't think it's so. Uh, on the nose as the other ones were um, because you're being force fed it in both Elysium Dude, and District there, 9. There's one line I can think of that is blunt as a fucking hammer. Which one? Uh, when when Chappie asks why the maker would make him die. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a fucking like just a blunt ass religious hammer. I mean, it's just that's just like, hey, why? Why did God make? us able to die i but i think i but what i'm saying is i'm I'm talking more of like a social like social issues like because of okay well you okay okay yeah i'm talking about i got you yeah i'm talking about more social issues not you know so he he went from being apartheid and healthcare metaphors to just kind of a vague religious right right exactly um so uh, I guess I guess the good uh, another uh, good part is is sort of Blomkamp's as- aesthetics because I, I love the way the movie looks. Um, it's it's you know the industrial part of it. The I th- Chappie looks amazing. Yeah, the robot design and the in the and I assume that was Charlton Copley in a. I think it was a performance suit. capture. Yeah, um, he um, he wore the little balls all over himself. <laughs> so it was Charlton Copley's little balls that was that were really great in this film. Um, I I think that I, God I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, 
I think that one one place that is is definitely a fault here is character design, um, because you have stuff like Hugh Jackman's character is just worthless. He's just like bad guy for no reason other than he wants to kill people, basically. Sigourney Weaver, I don't even know why you have her in this movie because she's, she's just there to be Sigourney Weaver. Well, I know, but that's like that's like having you know the equivalent of maybe not of the caliber, but having Tom Hanks be a boss and being hey, those reports are due on my desk at nine. I like and that she leave. literally picks up her coat and leaves as her last scene of the movie, like she yeah. was just leaving the production. But she 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 doesn't she doesn't go one way or another. She's not good or evil or anything. She basically she's is just telling there. people yes or no. Yeah, that's like, exactly what she does. No, it's total. She's totally wasted in this movie. Um, I think Dev Patel is the only cast member who is actually mildly interesting other than I did, Chappie. I, I didn't like anybody. I, I I agree with the Dev Patel thing, but only because he was a hundred times not as annoying as everybody else in this movie. Fuck me. The Okay, Die Antwoord is their kind of performance name. The 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 It's Ninja and uh, Yolandi. 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 Um, I can't remember their last name. Her last name. But uh, like they're essentially playing themselves that was weird because they're wearing their own t-shirts and stuff it's it's it was weird but fuck that that was like i i told somebody else this and i can't remember if i told y'all but it was like watching the fucking ali g show the <laughs> ali g show but it was supposed to be totally taken straight face well right. i don't agree with that i don't think it was i don't to be i i'd see no there's no like obvious satire that, here to me yeah but, i thought i thought it was way too serious for its own good i don't agree with you because i think that that clip you played was played for comedy for sure no that part was but their whole attitude was not like these characters are completely unappealing like there's no redeeming factor because they're fucking criminals and they're murderers, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to feel sympathy for them by the end. Here's the thing. Here's and this is what I was going to tell. I didn't get into it last night, but the whole the whole training part of like training Chappie to be a gangster or whatever. I thought that was parts of it were amusing. But here's the thing. I think that it would have been more effective had they been like bumbling criminals who who like were wannabes. Who who like needed Chappie in order to be legitimized? So like they they were teaching them how to be gangsters or whatever, but they really weren't because I think that once you have actual criminals teaching him that kind of stuff, it it becomes less. Well, then that would have just made it a comedy like from the get go, right? Well, I mean th- those parts I think would have hit comedically harder because they're there for comedy. So I think it would have hit harder. But if they were bumbling criminals the whole time, I, there's no there's no redemption to these guys because ideally no. ideally the the raising Chappie as they did should have softened them, should have made them parental. Well, it did for one of them. But only because they said it did. It wasn't, she was never, like, it never really showed it. She did read him a book. But, but he didn't, she didn't even give him the book. He gave it, <laughs> Dev Patel gave it to him. I, I also think that, um, sort of on that note, uh, I, I think that, I, I I like the idea where I, where I was actually kind of enjoying it was I like the I like the introduction to Chappie and I like the idea of him being like a scared like a scared dog or I don't whatever. even understand that though yeah I mean what what I found kind of disturbing was that okay fine he's a kid and they're bringing him up and and I kind of felt that but then it gets so mean spirited yeah at in points where I was just like. Man, this is, you didn't even go. You didn't need to go this far, especially if you're trying to make me believe that this is a child. Yeah, here. If, you, that, if you're making the connection and you really buy into the connection, then it does go far. Right. I mean, there's the one scene where they abandon him and he loses his fucking arm. Yeah, and they he yeah. gets put basically burned to flames. Sorry, spoiler alert for a while. <laughs> um, so I think some of that stuff went way overboard. And then 
Forget, I, I mean, the movie looked great and the and the CGI was great with the robot, but just, man, those characters. And Chappie himself, too. Chappie just got way too much for me. He, I, after a while, I, I just I couldn't root for him. He, I, he just got way yeah, too annoying. I was, and I, if your central character, this robot that you're trying, you need to be, you know, on board with the whole time, and he's the center, he's the heart of your story, he just grates on your nerves as much as he did for I me. I was never annoyed by Chappie. I was, I was totally I annoyed was, by Chappie. I, and then the the end of this, the climax of this movie, takes a turn that yeah. you said you liked, and it's a fine idea. It's a big idea for a movie, but it's not explored well at all in this film, and it's just tacked on as a kind of duex machina. <laughs> like, he, nice. here's, here's what I was saying to you. I think that conceptually it's the best idea of the movie. I think it's I think it's smart. I think it's interesting. I think it's I think it's worth exploring. It is not worth cramming into the last it, ten minutes of your movie. It doesn't make sense in this movie, though. Right? It doesn't it's, it? Doesn't yeah? Um, especially since we see that Chappie's consciousness is a fucking dat file. Yeah. That's uploaded to uh, this robot's brain, and then kind of the kind of the. Um, Let's tread here, unless you want to open the spoiler I don't want, zone. No, I don't want to. Just, just the fact that that his consciousness becomes more than what it what the file is yeah. doesn't really make any sense. I, I think that what what happens is, I mean, first off, this movie's like a, a half an hour too long. It goes it, forever. Oh, the climax is is interminable. Yeah, like once you once you realize that, like, oh yeah. Uh, but there's so many steps it takes to get there too. Yeah, it's it's a little laboring in that. And how about this company? Just the there's just a lot of stupid stuff in this movie, <laughs> like the company, this company Tetraval that makes the robots that are police. First of all, it's set. It's isn't it set in like 2016? Yeah. Like, why is it so soon? Why didn't they put a little distance between <laughs> between the real world? You know, they were going to wake up tomorrow, and this is going to be somebody's working on fucking robot cops right now. <laughs> but uh, you know, they they make a big deal about there being this uh, kind of lockout chip. Whatever they called it, lockout key. Yeah, that is just a little tiny USB mm-hmm. <laughs> receiver for a mouse or something. But like people are just able to walk out of the building with it numerous times. Uh, just the security of this building is totally stupid. Dev Patel, his character disappears for like twenty minutes at a time. You know, meanwhile he's he's committed this this heinous crime. You know, he's stolen. You know, this industrial mm-hmm. espionage basically. And he, nothing really happens. It just yeah. I, I I didn't like Dev Patel's character just because he he didn't really have anything to do. He didn't, but I did like uh, how he he seemed genuine when it came to him showing that he really cared about this robot. To in points, I mean, again, yeah, he, you could there wasn't enough of that, but he re, he really felt like it was his. So I, I like that. I like that he was like genuinely excited that this had happened, but. Like you said, twenty. I mean, yeah, those scenes where he, he was gone forever. It's like, <laughs> like, wait a minute, he's supposed to be a main character in this film. And then, yeah, Hugh Jackman's just kind of a standard scenery chewing religious nut villain. Um, and then, by the time it, I, I thought one of the weirdest, kind of funniest things was when he would just stare ominously over from his cubicle <laughs> in the back of the office. I also love how these are like, I mean, like Dev Patel's character is known for designing these police squad and he's like in a cubicle. Like that's, he just works in a cubicle. Well, and then like, uh, he's got, like he's give got, that guy an office, right? Plus he's got the st- <laughs> office with a view or something. Plus corner office. Plus he's got the standard, like 
weird genius robot staff at his house. Yeah. It's just so fucking dumb. Like just, I thought you liked the 80s robot. I That wasn't... Uh, <laughs> but when it's like played for seriousness, like he's some... And of course he's documenting all of his stuff with a webcam. It just was... A lot of people like to make a big deal about Blomkamp... Um, making original stuff, mm-hmm. but this is just a, this is just a ripoff of RoboCop short circuit, uh, short circuit. And I mean, and, it's just, it's nothing you haven't seen before right. mixed in with these fucking annoying South African rap ravers, whatever the fuck they are. That just, I mean, I don't understand that choice of, in casting at all. Yeah. Neither did I Blom, yeah. b- going on that Blomkamp uh, idea. I mean, if, if you had t- told me that, if, if you had told me that Blomkamp was, Given uh, Alien the reboot uh, after District Nine, I would have been really excited. But now that he's done Elysium and Chappie, I'm a little more. I don't think it's a reboot, but well, whatever it is, what it's is a... it? It's Alien Four, basically. Right? Oh, is it? Uh, it's, it's it's no. It's finishing off Sigourney Weaver's plot line or storyline or whatever. The, he's backtracked on that a little bit. Well, I just yeah. use reboot the, as a. Old... The idea was that that it was going to be uh, kind of Superman Returns ish and ignore three and four. Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. Yeah. Um, but I think he's backed off on that, saying that it will acknowledge him. I don't think – I mean, it's a recipe for disappointment. And I think I read a, a few articles about that already just because it's it's one of those properties that's uh, – it's been gone for so long. People love the first stuff that came from it and then no one's ever going to be satisfied. And I don't really think he's that good of a filmmaker. I mean he, he, he's got an eye for design, but unless someone else scripts it – I don't know. I think District 9 is a great, great movie all around. Um, I, I remember liking it. I yeah. don't remember it being a game changer or anything for me, I, other than the fact that it was made so cheap and kind of came out of nowhere. Well, yeah. again, these mm-hmm. are the. I think Chappie is the kind of movie you would expect. You remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about, uh, or maybe maybe we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but Kiko and I were talking about Alien Outpost, and and we were talking about this is what you get when you get someone who has worked in visual effects, yeah, making a film for the first time or making a film. Where they don't really have right. any other tools to their to their uh, to their hand, they just know how to build a beautiful world and fill it with questionable stuff. I think that Blomkamp's last two movies have sort of been uh, uh, more Big, in that realm, of, but just with bigger budgets. Yeah, of a, of a, of a of a guy who is a special effects whiz making these movies that don't have a lot to them. They don't have a lot of substance. But the thing with the difference is that he he feels like there's a lot more substance than we feel. I think that there was that He goes in with big ideas. I think that I think that Elysium was fell victim to that big time. I think this one I don't think he takes as big of a swing on this one as he did on Elysium. Yeah, but it's still pretty heavy handed. It's still pretty it still kinda hammers home its points that it's trying to make and then kinda gives it a big out at the end, in my opinion. I just I just wish that that I wish that the this, this, the the thing introduced, the conceptual thing introduced at the end, was the movie instead, because that's an inf- infinitely better and, and smarter idea. And I just wish that. I mean, I, I don't even wish they would have fleshed it out because that would have been the movie would have been even longer than it was. But uh, I really like that idea, and I wish that there was an avenue for that. Um, Somehow it's just it just didn't fit this. Just particular by the time film. it gets to it, by the time this movie gets to the end, I mean I was just exhausted. I was just I was totally over everything, and I didn't go in with any kind of preconceived notion, uh, like some people like to think that people do. But yeah. just that it was 
like by the time the the by the time I realized, oh shit, they're gonna take this gangster stuff seriously, and it's gonna be the whole fucking movie. Basically, <laughs> I was just I was just not on board at all. I didn't. I yeah. I mean, I was I, again. I was on board and off board, you know, back and forth because I some of the gangster stuff I actually didn't mind at all, and I and I I should say that I never hated this at any point. Um, I, it was just varying degrees of I don't care. I don't like this, and I do like this. What was with the the weird Mad Maxian like Uber villain who had to be subtitled? Oh, that was yeah, it was worthless. <laughs> I thought he reminded me of somebody. I can't remember. I who did though. too. I can't Jason remember. Jason Momoa, maybe? No, it wasn't Jason. What I was reminded of just because he was shirtless and hot. <laughs> Your words, not mine. I mean, um, no, it, but it, it, that see, there was a lot of stuff like that that kind of played comical. But I don't. I don't yeah, really know. Like, maybe he, he reminded me of like a crank villain or something like. Somebody. Well, see, I I actually saw this. Uh, we actually saw this theatrically since we missed the screening. So beforehand, I saw the Mad Max trailer. I don't know if you all saw. Oh that too. my god, that looks so freaking awesome! Yeah. So I, I think that's the first time I saw it on on the big screen. Yeah, I had actually not watched it. Online. Oh, you hadn't seen it before? No. Yeah. But yeah, that was fucking crazy. Um, so that it kind of had that feel a little bit to it, the Mad Max feel, but mm-hmm. God, it just the these fucking gangsters or whatever whatever they're supposed to be, whatever if it's a satire of gangster culture or what, I just it didn't work at all for me. Whatever it was supposed to be, I know who he reminded me of. Uh, he looked like a like a bulkier Josh Duhamel. That's who <laughs> I thought it looked like. I, I kept on looking at him like man, that could be like Josh Duhamel's like I don't know brother that i don't know can can we go back to the, from another mother can yeah we that. go back to the production design <laughs> yeah. a little bit sure chappy looked great mm-hmm. i hated the fucking gangster lair oh. uh, <laughs> like with all of it oh. it reminded me of like also, batman forever did you guys notice the the uh the the clever small product placement in this of playstation 4s and it's, no. it's a sony movie no, I've definitely noticed. You mean the PlayStation Fours that played a huge pivotal role in the climax? Yes, that were. I but I do I, I but I like I didn't put two and two together until I'm like, wait a minute, this is a Sony movie. Yeah, yeah, nice. And the Vio computers. They I didn't like Vio computers. I didn't like all the stuff that was drawn on the wall. I hate that shit. God, I hate that, that shit. See, like fucking like that stuff. That stuff did not work for me. The whole they're weird because they're weird. Adventure time yeah. shit kind of yeah. stuff. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. It's like we're supposed to feel sympathy for these people, but they're killers. Like, like the only reason fucking well, Ninja didn't murder Dev Patel was because he missed. Well, here's the thing. What you're desc- <laughs> what you're describing is not. You can't put a blanket over that because there are some times where it's the goal to feel sympathy for killers, and that's that's when a movie is doing it right. This this just didn't do it well, right. Okay, yeah. The but I mean, I, when you you can't make that blanket statement. Well, of, I wasn't. I didn't intend to make a blanket statement. But this this movie tries to make you feel sympathetic for these people that are just they're just shitty and they yeah. never are not shitty. Yeah. The only you know only because this robot's fucking dumb. Essentially, I mean he he has no concept of what good and bad is. He's right. taught that this is good, and that's the only reason you feel sympathy even a little bit is because this robot. And yeah. I and, eh, whatever. I just I was really really disappointed in this movie. Uh, go to cinesnob.net later on uh, today or I don't tomorrow. want to. Do you have an interview and with Chappie? I did. I did. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, one of the characters, uh, Yankee. I I got to talk to him on the phone. Uh, Jose Pablo Cantillo. So uh, he uh, he talks to me a little bit about um, working with um, 
what's his name? The guy that played Chappie? Charteau Copley. So was his name Yankee or was it America? It was America. America, that's what I meant. Why did I say Yankee? Well, because I'm reading it and it says Yankee on it. Uh, Yankee and then in parentheses it says America. You know, you should probably <laughs> you should probably uh because I don't is 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 it even on the homepage? Your interview. No, I that's why I said later on today or tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? I was, I'm looking over here and I'm like, wait, I want to read this and I can't find we're it gonna, anywhere. Uh, we're gonna put it on the PlayStation Four and upload mm-hmm. it. Uh, anyway, grades, Cody. Uh, God, you know, it was, it's one of those movies for me where it either barely worked or it or it barely didn't work. And I think I'm I I don't think I can in good faith recommend it. So I think I'm gonna go C plus. But there is some good in this for me. Kiko, I, I didn't like it, but I mean. It looked nice, so I'm giving it a C. C for Chappy. C yeah, for Chappy. I agree. C for Chappy. Chappy. Chappy gets C. Chappy. <laughs> I. I mean, it's it's really tedious, and, I, and it just it just annoyed me. And don't and the I mean, whole thing did. You know, I'm all for independent voices and people making stuff that's not adaptations. But please, just like with Jupiter Sending, fucking make it good. Yeah. You know, maybe take a step back. Don't be the guy that writes it. Don't be the guy that directs it. Whatever. Just. Don't be the guy that I, throws I, everything in the kitchen sink in it. Well, I think Blomkamp Shit. used this one good idea and then tried to milk a couple things off of it. What do you think? Because um, usually I think three movies is a fair assessment to judge somebody who came out of nowhere, like with a big hit. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, about you think Blomkamp? three? I don't know. I, you, okay. Say he comes out of the gate with, with District 9. You know, I didn't love it. I liked it. Uh, lots of people love it. You know, it was a huge hit. You know, I, Oscar nominated. Right. Um, then Elysium hits and he, you know, he gets a bigger budget, bigger stars. I hated Elysium. I hated that movie. So he kind of retreats a little bit back to a smaller idea, I guess, not so broad in its scope. Well, I think, I I think the big thing is social, social issues because I mean, District 9 was a straight up social issue movie and Elysium was too. Right. This one, it's not quite there as much as it was, um, on the other ones, I think I'm looking at Kiko gave Elysium a C too, so uh, I would have given it much lower. But um, I don't even remember Elysium. Yeah, I never saw it. Like I said, um, so, uh, but do you think this? Do you think Blomkamp? I mean, do you think this? He's got a, a decent future ahead of him after this because this is not this is bombing at the box office too. Well, it all depends because Blomkamp has been attached to so many different things. He was attached to doing a Halo movie. Um, he's he's attached to Alien now, so this he, Alien has people really excited on the internet. If he, it, it depends <laughs> on if he's writing this stuff. I think because if you're asking him to world build or create someone or to create a vision that that is just you know visual, I think that he's got it nailed because I think he's got a really good eye for that. Um, if he's writing it, I don't know. We'll see. Let's go ahead and move on to our last segment. Let's revisit some movies from the past. This is Deja Vu. Ooh. She sounds South African. (laughs) (laughs) Chappie watch movie? Chappie watch movie? (laughs) Uh, So this uh, past Wednesday, we had a screening of the documentary, The King of Kong, that we hosted at Alamo Drafthouse Westlakes here in San Antonio. Uh, Went really well. Uh, Lots of people were excited about the movie. Yeah. Um, You hadn't, the two of you hadn't seen it in a while, right? It had been a couple of years for me. Yeah, it was. I, I had been a couple of years for me too, and uh, but I was excited when I saw the hands go up in the theater of the people that hadn't seen it. Yeah, which is about ninety percent of them that were there. We do have a clip of it if you want to play it. One of our one of my favorite parts from the movie, and I think yours too, Cody. Yes, I I adore 
any second that this person is on screen. So let's go ahead and hear the clip. There's a potential Donkey Kong kill screen if you want to watch. If anybody wants to see, there's a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up. Uh, there's a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up if anybody wants to watch. There's a Donkey Kong kill screen might be coming up if anybody wants to see it. There's a potential Donkey Kong kill screen if you want to watch. Hey, Todd. If you're interested, uh, there might be a Donkey Kong kill screen in a couple minutes. And, uh, you know, it's not going to get any easier. Uh, so we, we may have an exciting moment here, uh, or, uh, you know, the, the pressure may get to him. One of those random elements might happen. Uh, sounds like he just cleared another board, but we could have a wild barrel or some aggressive fireballs. I thought I was going to be the first fun spot kill screen, uh, and then I had, I had three fireballs trap me. I had the hammer in my hand. They still got me. Uh, so anything can happen in Donkey Kong. So uh, for someone else to beat me to the kill screen would be a letdown, but let's see what happens. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll crack under the pressure, and maybe I'll get my chance to do it first. That is Brian Koo, uh, one of the, uh, I guess, disciples of uh, yeah. ostensible villain Billy Mitchell uh, in, the, uh, in the documentary. Uh, he's talking about Steve Wiebe, uh, the guy that kind of came out of nowhere in video game circles, I guess, uh, out of uh, Washington and, and set a world record on Donkey Kong. And he came to this fun spot arcade. Is it New Hampshire? Yes. To... Uh, to play uh, in person so they could verify his score. Right. And he's about to hit a Donkey Kong. He's about to finish the Donkey Kong game, basically, where the kill screen pops up and there's an error. And that's not edited. He really, the movie really goes like that, where this Brian Koo goes yeah. around to tell, tell people <laughs> there's a possible Donkey Kong kill does screen. It, does anybody even like... Give give them any recognition to that? I don't think anybody well, actually like. Well, no, there's like, people accumulate behind the machine. Man, well, no, but to the people that he's, it, it, it's. I think it's funny because nobody like takes their face or their eyes off of what they're doing. They're just not yeah. really like. They don't even really. And I guess you should say that it, if you didn't, uh, it's a it's a blatant attempt to try to get Weeby to mess up. Like Brian Koo is a snake. Like he's he's just a terrible person. And and I, you know, watching this film. I think the best thing for me about the screening we did was um, I forgot how funny the King of <laughs> Kong is. It's hilarious. And and hearing people laugh, like hearing big laughs from our audience was, was rewarding because it was, you know, it was playing for the audience really well. And just everything with Brian Koo is just so, so funny because he's just this – he's just such a douchebag. Well, like, but he's kind of the – like everybody knows a guy like this. Yeah. You know this guy. He's – He's a yes man. He's – you know, he's 30 years old in the film. He looks like he's about 40, just the way he dresses and the way he acts, the way he conducts himself. He's really socially awkward. Um, you know, he he talks kind of uh, proudly in the movie how he retired at age 30 to co-play video games at Fun Spot all the time. Yeah. Uh, and then just to see, you know, he has this hope that he's going to be the, the nerd that uh, – that, that breaks this record yeah. and just to have his hopes dashed on camera. We didn't get to the end of that clip, but he, he's the kill screen happens and there, it's just this long lingering shot yes. on him. I love just that shot. Sad, <laughs> just sad. And you, everybody knows a guy like this. Cause there's, there's a guy in your office or there's a guy that's a friend of a friend or whatever. That's like this guy. That's just yeah. has this weird encyclopedic knowledge of some obscure thing. And then, Wants to be the best at it, but then somebody comes along and just kind of trounces his hopes and dreams. Yeah, and also, how great of a villain is Billy Mitchell? Like, like you're just your classic movie <laughs> villain. He's 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 got that. He he should have. That's what uh, 
uh, Hugh Jackman's mullet in Chappie should have looked like as Billy, <laughs> yeah. as Billy Mitchell's. I don't know about y'all, but I would love. I, I think I would love to see this turned into a feature film. They were talking about, I think, doing a series out of it at first, right? A, a TV series. Well, uh, we are going to uh, play our Q and A with Steve Weeby uh, here in a little bit, and they did talk about how he. We did talk to him about how. Uh, this was originally supposed to be a uh, – <clears throat> there was supposed to be a feature film adaptation, but they just – they never could crack the script. Yeah. Right. Um, but, I mean, it's almost – it almost seems like it would it, – it writes itself. Yeah, I, I guess. I just – I mean, it reminds me of the – what's a Paul Giamatti movie where he plays a – American Splendor. American Splendor type of film. I, I guess uh, I guess they need to come up with something that makes it different enough to, you know, to see – you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you just not watch the real story? Well, I mean, that's I for everything. But true, but uh, but <clears throat> these these weird like counterculture type documentaries always are interesting to me, especially when they're as funny as this. Like I, American Movie. I, I don't know if you've seen American Movie, but uh, I've heard about it a lot about it, but I never saw it. I'd uh, like a follow up personally. Oh yeah, that'd like be a, cool. Like oh, another, that'd be a, that'd be an awesome another idea. documentary. You know, as this and we talked to Weeby about this, you'll hear it a little bit. Uh, just how. The, it kind of opened up the world to this, you know, because who knew about Twin Galaxies and video game records before this film? I mean, right. the people that founded it, I'm sure, and then, you know, maybe a handful of others. But this be, made it, you know, this actually, you know, Steve Wiebe set the world record and then now he's way down on the list. Yeah. You know, just because so many people have, since this documentary came out, decided to take it on, I guess. Right. So we had uh, we had this screening Alamo Draft House, West Lakes. Um, we sold some cool posters. Had a lot of people come out really excited about the film. Yeah, that was that was kind of a really great part of this. Is we had um, most of the people came around and and stuck around towards the end and talked to us. And we had some very uh, listeners to this very podcast come up and talk to us, which is one of the first times that's ever happened. So yeah, it's nice to know that uh, people out there exist who are dare I say fans of the show or, and that, and or that, not that, related <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah never mind you kill my joke oh, oh shit my sorry good let's do it again do it again. <laughs> sorry go ahead do your joke um i don't remember it now i was gonna say something <laughs> like oh or that aren't cody's mom that's what i was gonna say but uh, that sounds a little more harsh than the way Jeez. i would have done it wait way to direct it right <laughs> at me <laughs> well you said you said that fans weren't listening it's nice to know that other than the ceiling than- fan of the room, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was it was really great. Um, you know, this was our first one. We we had, you know, I, I guess like anything else, there were kinks to work out throughout all of it. Um, but uh, we were we were very pleased, and, and I'm I'm very happy that people were really enthusiastic about this. People were asking us when our next screening would be, which hopefully we'll be able to um, to let you know. Soon, ish. Mm-hmm. We're working on it. We've we've uh, we've been in contact with the draft house. They're waiting to get back to us uh, with, I guess, securing the rights on the next film we want to do. Yeah, because um, it's not just a it's not just a matter of. I mean, I've got the movie on DVD. If we want to just watch it, right? But, Jared's uh, home movies is that what it is? You gotta... Why would I watch it at Alamo Draft House? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not going to go there again. Uh, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, if you have any suggestions. Uh, for films you'd like to see us, uh, you know, bring to the big screen. Maybe something uh, doesn't necessarily have to be something that that kind of slipped under the radar of a lot of people, like King of Kong, or 
something kind of out of the ordinary. I mean, just maybe something you haven't seen in a while you'd like to see at a big screen, on a big screen, like to have the interaction with, like to have some sort yeah. of, uh, you know, we, we're trying to get Q and A's, uh, or some sort of other content with this stuff that, that makes it a more, uh, an experience you can't get elsewhere. And I, I think that there's a, you know, what I'm interested in doing also is, you know, for kind of the, the, the younger folk, um, <laughs> <laughs> You know, movies that came out in theaters when you were a kid that you maybe never got to see in the theaters because they were rated R. Uh, <laughs> you well, know, like, I mean, like, for me, I've never seen Fight Club in a theater. So that, that for me, would be awesome. But uh, so, so stuff like that, just maybe stuff that you, you think would really benefit from the theater experience. And, you know, Draft House really treats us well, really treats yeah. everybody well. You know, it's a nice place to go. I mean, I had dinner there. I know... Uh, that's one of the reasons I like to go is I love to get the uh, carnivore pizza. Uh, what does that have to, on it? It's just a bunch of meat. And, uh, and, I, and you, I end up looking like a pig because I'm just eating pizza. Well, if, if you were a pig, you'd be a cannibal because I'm sure there's some ham on there, right? Oh, God. <laughs> See, this is what happens. <laughs> this is what happens when you, <laughs> when you put a mic in front of my face. Yeah. yeah. No, when you, you let them get away gold? with it before, when you laugh at them, when you, Shit, you we, laugh at the we laugh at the ones, yeah, exactly. You laughed at He's the like ones three Chap- weeks ago. He's like Chappie. <laughs> Chappie McFunny. <laughs> Cody McFunny. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you have a suggestion, we want we want to do one a month, right? Is the goal? Yeah, one per month is what we're shooting for. We have our next one in mind. Uh, like I said, we're waiting to hear back on rights and everything. Uh, if you want to buy one of the posters that we sold, yeah, uh, we sold about uh, six or seven there at the screening. Um, they're really cool, designed by a friend of mine named Scott Fuller. Huge fan of the King of Kong. Yeah, um, we've only got a few left. Yeah, um, I don't know how many, a handful. Yeah, we printed a very, very limited amount. Yeah, so if you wanna, if you wanna buy a poster, you can reach us. Uh, email us podcast at cinesnob.net. Uh, leave a message on our Facebook. Send us a tweet. Um, tweet, tweet. So uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap the show up now. Yeah, and then we'll play the, the Weeby Q&A after we wrap up here. So uh, next week, let's talk about that because we're going to be balls deep in South by Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe we'll have a show, maybe we won't. Yeah, um, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll, we'll probably have some reviews on the site for whatever's opening. But um, yeah, South by Southwest starts on Friday. So God, already. So we're we're gearing up and rearing back and <laughs> gearing and rearing and <laughs> <laughs> rearing back. But I like gearing and rearing. Yeah. Uh, can can we, we make that a thing now? Gearing, we're and, gearing rearing. and rearing. Sure. We I, now you know what? I think we've been looking for an excuse to open like a, a a web store with shirts. I I'm thinking we have a gearing and rearing shirt and like a, that's my get her done. Uh. One of the best phrases I ever heard once was uh, I used to work uh, in TV. I'd worked the New Year's Eve celebration downtown. And I don't know if you've ever been. Mm-hmm. I guess any New Year's Eve celebration in a tiny space, it's packed, like just packed with people. And this one guy, one engineer tells me, he goes, it's nuts to butts out there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, that is the best phrase I've ever heard. <laughs> so whenever something's crowded. But what if it's a girl? Like it's crowded with girls, you can't say it's nuts to butts with girls. <laughs> um, I can't. I'm say trying. To, I, can't, <laughs> I can't say what I want to say. I think I know what you mean. I think. Yeah. I, I think. I think we're on the same wavelength. Uh, here. All right. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this week. 
All right, stay tuned after this for our Steve Wiebe Q&A. Cody and I uh, got to geek out with him yeah. on Skype. The uh, quality is amazing, by the way. Maybe we'll put it up on YouTube at some point for people to watch. It is on YouTube it. now. It's uh, private, though. It's private. How can we change that? <laughs> it's just a drop-down box. <laughs> yeah, if you want to watch it. That was actually a previous version. I edited it a little bit. Oh, you did? I uh, put some new graphics and stuff in it. Cool. Anyway, uh, so yeah, stay tuned for the Steve Weeby Q&A. But if you want to leave us now, go ahead, because my name is Jerry Kingery. And I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Kiko Martinez. Steve Weeby, star of The King of Kong. Thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, great to be uh, on here. So um, thanks, everyone in San Antonio, for coming to the screening. Hope you enjoyed the movie. First question, have you played Donkey Kong today? I have not played a game of Donkey Kong today. Yeah, so um, I haven't really every day before when I was going for the record, I would be waking up, crack of dawn, going to the garage and, and playing the game for whatever, six, eight hours. But since the filming and since um, the, the record's been changing hands of late, I haven't been religiously going out there and playing it. There's events that come up. Uh, the King, the Kong off comes out every year and there's been, it's been in Denver a couple years. And I think they're going to have it back East in New Jersey and coming up this year sometime. But once I hear the event and the date that the event is and I start prepping, but not every day. Is it something where you have to play it over and over again in order to get back into the rhythm? Or is it something where you can kind of, uh, step right back into it if you've been doing it for so many years? I can just step right back into it. I'm not going to be at world record caliber, but if a couple weeks, I mean, even if within a day, I'll be decent to, to hit a kill screen, but to get to a world record, it's going to take a couple weeks to get in a groove. And then once I'm in it that deep, it becomes like a prison cell where I can't, can't escape it. So I'm kind of leery of jumping back into that mode. So where do you stand right now in the rankings? Do you have any idea? I think I last looked on 10th because there's been these Kong offs, which has brought a lot of enthusiasm and interest. And the, and the King of Kong movie has had a lot of people interested in the, in the record. So it's the most, one of the most popular records out there. And there's people that are hitting kill screens now that when, when the filming of the King of Kong took place, there was only a handful of people. Now there's dozens of people that can get to the kill screen and, People are killing it, I guess, so to speak. Did that ever make you a little weary uh, that uh, that doing this film would bring so many more people out of the woodwork to try and uh, take on the record? I didn't ever think about it. I never even thought a film would be made in the first place. So, but since when the when it was being made, I wasn't worried about any inside intelligence being uh, sent out there. It's great that people are taking what was done in in the movie or what they've seen or and online there's people that share ideas so it's a community that people are willing to share there's no real secrets out there that i know of um there's a little tweaks if you work watch different people play they'll have a little different style but for the most part those those players are in the same realm of a score that so it, it just takes dedication and just willingness to gut it out for whatever number of weeks or months it takes to hit that score you know, you seem to have, you know, and the movie at least, have gone through a period of time where um, it was it was sort of almost like an exclusionary community. They didn't know you, so, you know, you see in the movie that they, they don't accept the tape, for example. 
Do you feel like the film and your experiences have made it more of a widespread community? Yeah, I think so. Um, there's still a few people that, when they hear my name, cringe and think I'm a cheater and and uh, want to run and run me down or whatever. But uh, I think I've been accepted, and since a lot of other people have been showing that these scores are over a million are perfectly valid and legitimate. It's, it's not as much people doubting what I've done. I've gone in person and played. So I, when I go to the events, I don't feel any hate or anything. And there's, everyone's kind and we all shake hands and have a great time at these Kong offs. So I'm looking forward to the next one. Now in the film, uh, the, the, uh, kind of rivalry between you and Billy Mitchell takes center stage. Is that, really how it went down or is there I mean obviously documentaries do kind of selectively edit I guess uh, because there is so much footage is that how the the rivalry went down in the in the real world or is this was this played up for the film there's a little bit of you know they have to edit the the footage down to an hour and a half I think at one point it was like two and a half hours long and they ran it through a screen testing with some friends and it was just too much information that people couldn't make sense of. So there's some stuff that got weeded out and, you know, we didn't really, when me and Billy were going for it, where there was no communication much, you know, I'm doing my thing in Seattle. He's doing his thing over there in Florida. And the only time that I really got a chance to meet him was, was in the uh, Guinness records when we went to um, Fort or whatever, Fort Hollywood or Fort Lauderdale, I think it was down there in Florida Mm -hmm. for the Guinness tournament. I was hoping he would go to Fun Spot, and and that was true. He didn't make it out there, and there was some tension that I felt on my end. But there was no real, you know, where we didn't really come to come to blows face to face because there wasn't really the opportunity. I wasn't wasn't never angry at him or anything. I don't think he was mad at me. I don't think it would ever come to anything physical, of course. But um, there was no shouting matches, no, none of that. Just became something where he was avoiding me because of my uh, so-called allegiance to to um Roy Schilt who you know Mr. Awesome in the in the movie in the King of Kong and I wasn't really on anyone's side I was just trying to prove myself and just things got just misinterpreted with all that but I think now I when I see Billy now there's there's never any anything um bad we we just say hello shake hands we don't exchange christmas cards or anything like that but we're pleasant to each other but there's no long dialogue about how's the family and everything and we just kind of say hello and then do our thing now uh is there anything that was left out of the film that you wish had been been left in trying to think there was a couple things that happened that weren't documented because it was only stuff that I had on my end. But um, so, for instance, I had actually submitted a million uh, point score over a million. And there was going to be a supposedly it was going to be verified. And then um, there was this uh, a report that Billy had then submitted his tape shortly thereafter. And then there was going to be a simultaneous um, announcement that we both got this, these million scores. And, and I wanted to, and then when I tried to say that, Hey, I got mine in first, there's where there, um, there was silence on the twin galaxies end. And then the next thing I knew is where the 
two um, referees came over to my house to inspect the machine. So there was some of that I could have been explained, you know, what was the impetus behind them coming over. Um, but other than that, I don't think there's anything that got omitted that, that would have helped the story out. There was things that were in the original one that with, there was this double Donkey Kong board, which they tried to explain in the original, which it plays both Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr., but when they put that in, the average person who doesn't know anything about video games couldn't understand. It went right over their head and just muddied the water. So it just made it, made it easier not to discuss that whole double Donkey Kong board. And that was the reason they thought I was trying to cheat. But that's a whole nother movie they could go into that. So, yeah, your Donkey Kong machine is on the, on the side. It says it reads Donkey Kong Jr. So that's what you're talking about, right? That it had both, yeah. both games in it? I had bought a, a Donkey Kong Jr. game originally, and then I was going. I got going for the record on that one, and at some point I wanted to go back and get the Donkey Kong record. And I was calling up the the the, the guy who designed the double Donkey Kong board. I said, "Hey, I'm going to be set going for world records on this. Is there anything that's different than the original play?" He goes, "No, everything happens outside of the." arena of the game you know when you switch between the games it's not interrupting anything that would affect the gameplay and so i go okay cool so the only thing that's different is the sounds that i that are obvious and i don't see anything in the gameplay that's different but there's like a the sound of mario is the sound of junior climbing up the vines it's kind of a squeaky pitch versus the the red regular walk of mario so it was if i was trying to cheat i would have hidden the volume or something you know i'm not trying to hide anything so they recognized that it was a uh, double donkey kong at at that point when the vault when the sound was seen to be the the junior sounds and then i went back and just got a regular one just said okay i'll just go back and play on the regular one so that's what i did and eventually i got the, the score recognized do you feel i know that there's a lot of people from from billy mitchell's end who would say that the film has been edited you know like jared had said earlier do you feel like it was an accurate representation of how things went down from your perspective? From my perspective, I guess, um, with me going out there to fun spot and the feelings that I had when, you know, when they kind of didn't, you know, they, they gave me the score at that point, but then when the, the TV came rolling through and all that, and I, you know, I, that kind of was disheartening. And then, you know, he, we went out to, uh, the Guinness tournament and, that was documented correctly. He came in and he, um, Billy didn't compete. He had other, you know, obligations. He just wasn't ready to play at that time. Um, and you know, that's from what, from what I saw, that's what was, that's what's happening. That's what I felt during those times of frustration of, you know, not being able to perform well at the Guinness tournament and not getting a chance to compete with Billy, um, for whatever reasons, so, you know, there's different things that they had to take out and, and make it a storyline that was entertaining. So the filmmakers did what they saw, and, and I don't see anything that was straying from the truth that would change the whole feel of the, the what happened in my eyes. Now, do you feel like, um, you know, you mentioned like the TV rolling out. Do you feel like that would have happened regardless if there were cameras filming, or do you think that any part of them were um i guess playing for the cameras and some of that they i don't know it's a good question i i, I imagine they probably would have done that if billy wasn't going to be there they would probably want to show that he had had the score that he had submitted so it's 
probably likely that he would have done that anyways. So was there any kind of uh, sense beforehand, before you went to Funspot, of the kind of community you were going to encounter among the people that, uh, I guess, had been the founding members of Twin Galaxies? I knew there was a couple referees that were wanting me to prove myself live. Robert Merzak, I don't think, was a fan of me at that point because I had submitted the Donkey Kong record on the double Donkey Kong board and he had verified it originally and then it got through to some other people and they recognized the double Donkey Kong and he thought I was pulling a fast one on him. So I think he's never liked me and still probably doesn't like me for that reason. But um, Walter, I, I had good communications with Walter. I wasn't worried with him or any other gamers I didn't have any negative experiences with. So I came in there, was just going there just to prove my my gameplay, and and I, I wasn't worried about anything happening negatively. You know, one of the more surprising things, I think, in the movie is, is the segment where they talk about how there were people who showed up at your house um, unannounced and, and went to inspect the board. Um, did any... In any part during that, did you feel like stepping away, like it was getting too into your actual life and not this fun hobby? There was a point where I thought once the board, they found the um, box with Roy Schultz's name on it, and even though it was a legitimate board, it was purchased directly from a vendor, just happened to have Roy's return address on it, just in case it didn't get to my place, it would get shipped back to Roy because he had bought it. But... um there was a point after that happened that I was going thinking it was never going to get verified. My million point score, you know, I have to go back and do it all again. Is it worth it? And all that. And then the, um, that before that, at that point there weren't any documentarians on board. So once they came on board, I, I thought, okay, this might be a opportunity to, to kind of show kind of the things on my end of it. And maybe that would, help bring to light some of the, the truth or whatever. But that kind of gave me a little more energy once the, the document, documentary, documentary started. Now, how, did, how did that come about? Good question. I had a, a friend of mine that's in Hollywood. He's a screenwriter. I grew up with him. He's in the King of Kong. His name's Mike Thompson. And um, he knew Ed Cunningham through a mutual friend, of ours that also went to our high school and Ed played football at the University of Washington that's where I went in the same era, uh, era in the in the late 80s early 90s and Ed was working on a documentary called um, New York Dolls and he'd just been finishing that up he was just about ready to finish that up with another friend of his Seth Gordon he had met I guess they just found each other from films. They were interested in films and, and got together. I don't know exactly how they hooked up, but they were working on that film and they were looking for different ideas. So Mike pitched this idea to, to Ed and, and said, hey, there's this friend of mine that's playing Donkey Kong going for a record and there's some weird things happening with people coming out to inspect his board. And, and they, they heard about this and thought it was a crazy that in video games there was all this cutthroat ha stuff happening. So once they got finished with that documentary or were in the end of filming or finishing it up, they started following my story. So they jumped in after they came out to my house and um, right before I was going to go to Fun Spot. So that's where they picked up. 
And so what do you feel makes this film so so special? People really latch onto it. They have a lot of fun watching it. Um, what do you think draws them to this story so much? Yeah, I think they just see a person like myself that's trying to get a goal and there's obstacles and everyone can relate to something where they're trying to, to achieve and there's obstacle after obstacle. So that's probably probably the underlying theme that people can relate to. And some of the funny things that happen with the other gamers that are, are going for their own records kind of are funny things that happen when he's going out to the parking lot and slams the, the hood when he doesn't get his Frogger score. Yeah. Um, things like that. And, and so I think people is, and the old people that, my age, mid forties that re- relate to the video games back then. It's kind of nostalgic for them to, to revisit these games. And, and it's kind of weird that people are even caring about these games anymore. So that's kind of drawing the gaming crowd, but the other people can relate to the, the story, maybe the family, my family being involved. Piggybacking on that, you uh, don't seem to be kind of living the entire uh, classic gaming lifestyle like some of these other people do in the film. Do you think that had a uh, a lot to do with their uh, initial sort of skepticism of you? Probably, yeah. Since I wasn't in the arcades, they didn't know who I was. They probably thought, hey, how who's this guy getting these scores just out of nowhere? Because it usually doesn't happen. There's usually somebody they know about. But I had been working on Donkey Kong, you know, back you know, I wasn't as good as Billy in the 80s, but back in the early 90s, I'd hit, hit the kill screen a couple times and didn't even know it existed and, and ended up selling the machine thinking it was something wrong with my machine. At the certain level, I can't get past it, so it wasn't even worth playing it anymore. So then I went on and looked at a website that Twin Galaxies back, it was probably like around the late, 90s you know right before the the internet wasn't around back when i was it might have been in its early stages but there was no websites about the donkey kong scores but when i found out that my scores were bigger than billy's score that had been scored in 81 or 82 whatever um i go i have to get myself another machine so and i had still no contact with i was all doing this outside of any knowledge of any other gamers and so when I came out of the blue, they were, I remember when I submitted a Donkey Kong Jr. score to Robert Merzak and, or Walter Day, one of them said, are, are you sure you didn't use the cheat? I go, no, I, I played the game because they, they were wondering how could I just come out of the blue like that for this world record on Donkey Kong Jr. I go, no, I played it legit. So and there was, that's probably one of the reasons. For, and also the Roy Schilt, tainted with Roy Schilt since he had been kind of a thorn in their side for so many years. So when you, when you get into competitive gaming like this, and, um, and you, know, you kind of see you, you drawing on the boards and trying to figure out the strategy to it, um, I, do you still have fun when you're making these uh, record runs, or are they stress? Are they concentration? What are they for you? It's all of the above. It's fun, stressful. you got to concentrate for several hours. Um, when you, back when it wasn't, um, this much hardcore like point pressing, it, revealing some of these point pressing tips was exciting. You know, you'd come up with a way of getting more points, and that's what kept it interesting and fresh and new. Now it's 
most everything. I don't know if there's anything that can be discovered that's going to revolutionize the gameplay, but now it's just a matter of just being persistent. But um, back then, it was fun to reveal some of these uh, tricks that would help get to a point where you can get over a million points. So that was exciting back then. It's still fun to play the game and go for a world record. So your family was heavily involved in the film. How long ago was the film shot? Yeah, it started, the, the filming was in 2005 to like 2007, but I had been going for the record since 2002. So it was a few, couple years before they came on board. So your, your kids were young now, and I guess they're teenagers now? Uh, yeah, my daughter graduates from high school this year, and my wow. son's in ninth grade. How do they... Yeah. Uh, how do they look back on their, their role in the film? Your daughter had a really poignant statement about the, the Guinness World Record, and your, your, your son famously asked to have his, his bottom wiped. Yeah, that, those are two scenes. My son was kind of devastated for a little while with the uh, scene he was in, which makes sense, uh, but he'll get over it. Um, my daughter, yeah, she, I don't, they don't really go back and watch the film. I don't think they've ever gone back and watched it on their own or anything but maybe someday they'll look back on it and go wow this was kind of weird that this happened to us or whatever but um yeah they don't really mention to it i, I show the film to my class in my in my high school and they enjoy it and my son's now at the high school and so now i'm kind of a little afraid to show it because now his friends who see it will maybe start giving him a little bit of business about the scenes you know that you refer to <laughs> Uh, so, do you play any other video games? Are you a gamer other other than the classic uh, gaming like Donkey Kong? Uh, not too much. The Junior Donkey Kong Junior and Donkey Kong were the two that I had played mostly in the '80s. So I kind of latched onto those. And now I don't really the home console games. We have Xbox and and the Wii, but I played a little bit of Mario Kart's was about the only thing that I really got into. Not really like wasn't like hyper focused on it but would enjoy playing that with with my friend uh with my son some of the mario golf or something like that but nothing no none of those first games first person shooter games halo or uh whatever gears of war i think there's one like that that i tried someone gave me that as a gift along with an xbox and i was put it in and i was trying to find out where to go and i was like stuck in the same room for 20 minutes so i said i'm done with this game so uh, one thing we've kind of noticed is that um, you've been popping up in the background of a lot of Seth Gordon's projects, uh, both movies and TV. Um, do, are you now his new like good luck charm for any project he does? I think he's kind of taken me as the, his good luck charm, like you said. He's probably afraid if he doesn't put me in one of his films or or, or TV shows, he's gonna his career's gonna drop. You know, that's like. Uh, fail but um but it's been very generous of, of Seth to do that he's just kind of taken me along for the ride I guess he's figured I was part of it when he's when he started his ride um to bring Steve along and it's kind of fun you get to visit all his movies and meet all the the actors the most recent recent ones called Pixels which will be out in I think this spring late spring early summer which will be fun if you haven't heard about that it's like the the um, invasion of all these pixelated uh, video game characters. And there's Adam Sandler is one of the uh, classic gamers that's asked by the president to come back and 
figure out how to destroy these these guys because if, if he knows how to play the video game, he can then figure out how to to kill all these Galaga invaders or Donkey Kong. Um, so it's kind of cool that they were able to capture the, all those video game games in this thing. It should be fun to watch. I'd heard uh, a while back when the when the documentary was released that uh, there was talks of a fictionalized version of this uh, story. Is there any any movement on that? Is that a dead project, or or do you know anything yeah. about it at all? Uh, they retired a few scripts they had tried, and nothing clicked. There was a couple things that you know, a couple scripts that were looking promising. Then they would have a have it rewritten a little bit, and give it to another writer. So a few writers were involved. So it's been a while since it was bought or purchased in 2007. And there's always people saying like, sometimes these Hollywood movies take 10 years to make, you know, these things that come out today are not something that were written yesterday. A lot of things have to happen. Like the producer, the right, the writer and the right uh, actors have to be available. So sometimes it takes 10 years, but at this point I think it's kind of on the back burner. They haven't really figured out a, a good way to retell the story in a new way that wouldn't wouldn't be cheesy or or whatever. They were debating on how to how to do it. I think the last I heard was it was going to be like a faux doc kind of like the office kind of kind of way of uh, viewing it or taping it. Um, but at this point, I don't know where it stands. It's probably probably on the deep back burner unless something crazy happens that might ignite the interest again. I, I, I don't know if you can answer this, but I had heard that um, that Peter Dinklage's character in Pixels was loosely based on Billy Mitchell. Is there is there any truth to that? Well, I had met Peter uh, over at the at the set, yeah, and he had his mullet and had the hair decked out. <laughs> People say Billy's not a mullet because he has long hair everywhere, I guess, but he had the Billy Mitchell hairstyle going, so I imagine it probably might be loosely based off his character, yeah. Now, uh, Billy Mitchell... Uh, famously in the movie, was a hot sauce and a chicken wing sauce purveyor. Have you ever had any of Billy Mitchell's uh, hot sauce or wing sauce? Yeah, he's given a lot of bottles away at events. He'll he'll produce special labels for them, and I'll get a few of his bottles, and I've had it. It's pretty good. I'm not a big hot sauce guy. Usually I uh, put salsa on things, so I'm like a salsa guy. So if he was a salsa guru, then maybe I would be eating more of his product, but I'm not a big hot sauce guy, but I hear it's good. He won't sell it to um, the West Coast that I've, I heard there was people trying to order it that had a, a California area code and he didn't want to sell it. This was back in the in the 2007 era, era when the film was just coming out, so he, he wasn't trust, trusting that these people had good intentions. <laughs> so should we be looking forward to a Steve Weeby salsa in the future? Perhaps, yeah, I'll, I'll be on the market. I'll have something out in a few years, probably. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for our questions. Uh, thanks a lot, Steve. Uh, we really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to talk to us. Uh, and uh, we had a lot of fun here at this screening. So thank you very much, Steve. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.